So, uh, championship winning monogram model builder. Fake DEA informant. Ooh, and Senate bankroller. <laughs> Bruce Cannabo, if you could describe this dinner we just had in one word, what would it be? Flat out. Damn it, that's good. That's, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's two words, though. Technically. Two. You can write it as one. It's the new world. And now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. Racers. I'm Ryan Eversley. I'm Sean Eckman. And we are currently headed back to Atlanta from Hilton Head, South Carolina. We did a quick day trip down there for the Grand Motoring Film Festival to showcase our episode Bumped, which we put out last year. But that's not what we're talking about now. Now we're talking about podcasts. It's a podcast. Now, traditionally, we talk to household names in sports car racing, NASCAR, IndyCar, you name it. But when the opportunity came to sit down with the legendary Bruce Canepa just after one of our races out in California, we had to get it done, and we got a full tour of a shop, and it was one of the coolest things we've seen in a long time. Now, Bruce Canepa may not necessarily be a household name to people outside of, say, the vintage and the car circles, but if you want to talk about racers, Bruce Canepa definitely qualifies. He is arguably the name in historic racing today. His shop, which is called Canepa Design, is world-renowned as the place to take your high, 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 high-end vintage streetcar, vintage race car, and let him and his service of, of folks bring it back to a level that only, quite to be blunt, Canapa can do. And if you are somebody who enjoys things like the Concours, the Monterey Historics, that sort of thing, Canapa is the guy at all of those events. Yeah, we're talking going Mercedes, uh, Porsche 959s. He's like the Porsche 959 guru on the planet. It's an incredible shop, and he's also so knowledgeable and so enthusiastic that if you're ever in the area, please check it out. Try to get a tour. It is worth every minute. And as you'll learn in this podcast, he's also a racer in his own right. He did uh, a lot of dirt racing and, and uh, road racing, and, and in his day did did try to, to go down the traditional racing path, uh, but just sort of found his place in, in this type of world. Now, it's not uncommon for us to meet with somebody like Bruce at their shop because they are nonstop working. And this was exactly what the case was. We got takeout from Back Nine Grill and Bar in Santa Cruz. And we had lunch in their lunchroom where the guys eat during the day in between working yep. on all these crazy cars. Yeah, like literally as we're in his uh, in his shop in Scotts Valley, California, like one of the guys came in and like microwaved his soup <laughs> exactly. while, we were, while we were getting sandwiches together. Yeah, so it was one of those kind of experiences. But uh, honestly, I don't think I would have liked it as much if it had been in a restaurant because just all the ambience over his shoulder on these giant racks are like Golf 917s, the Coca-Cola 962 my dad raced. Like like so much history in this building that that alone was worth going and sitting down with Bruce. So beyond the visuals that you can't see, uh, here are some things you're gonna hear about. His real opinion on Santa Cruz, California. And again, he's in Scotts Valley, California. It's totally big, different. Big deal. Totally big different. different. Yeah. We hear about him calling in the feds. And how he is absolutely fine being a complete pain in the ass. You know who's not a pain in the ass? The fine folks at Continental Tire? Yes, they yeah. make our tires do the thing. Continental Tire, the smart choice in tires. It's the light within you. <laughs> That's it, right? That's not their low. No. 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 The smart choice in tires. The smart choice 
in tires. Yeah, yeah, no, I got it. How did we get there? Because we were racing, both of us were racing at Laguna Seca. Yep. And uh, I got a podium, and you got one of the best results of the season. Yeah. For Magnus with your we strategy call. Led half the race. That was a big deal. Four. Yep. And then we were like, hey, how do we extend this trip even longer? We run into Seabass. Yep. And he's like, yeah, I'll drive you guys up there. What do you say about that, Sebastian? C'est quoi cette odeur? Well, I don't know about all that, but I do know that this is Bruce Canapa. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. Here hey, how are you? Here we are. <laughs> We good. waste no time. Let's put that on. Yeah. Crazy good. Crazy good. Not as good. So good. First question I have is, what's in that mug? Cranberry, cranapple juice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that, is that the thing? It is for me. Okay. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> now, okay. So you brought uh, shortbread, shortbread rounds yeah. and threw it on the table at us, saying yeah. we want cookies. Is this is this your thing? Like you can't go anywhere without your cookies? No. So I don't leave my office for lunch. Okay. I don't leave my office for dinner. Okay. Unless I'm gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lisa has lunch for me and Lisa has dinner for me. So Okay. So that's her deal. Because my keep day, fed. well, my day is, starts at seven, ends at eight. Sure. Okay. Nine. Yeah. And then I go home with two hours of work. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that. So, I totally understand that's that. That's how it works. Now, you can't get this stuff done like this out here if you don't do that. The, oh, well, with the, the level of detail, detail right. of what we're doing is. Right. Now, when you say Lisa brings you food, is this a matter of you don't want to have to deal with the time to get food or that you'll literally forget if it's not put in front of you um both okay yeah i mean I, i'm very guilty of the forgetting thing it doesn't yeah. look like it yeah no i'll but. forget like the other day i was at the racetrack and at 3 30 i said i haven't eaten today so even there so yeah and then she just she knows what i what i like to eat and pretty simple and she knows what i like to eat and so it's kind of repetitive Okay. That makes it easy. I don't have to think yeah, about no it. Yeah, no decisions. No decisions. I, I there it is. That. Yeah, yeah. You know, one day okay. it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and it then it's you know a chicken sandwich, and then, we, we're speaking the same language yeah. now. Okay, that's that's my deal right now. Yeah. So, so you're from here in Scotts Valley originally? I was born in Santa Cruz. Okay. Yeah, in this county. My dad, my dad's family, his parents came from Italy, and he was here since he was a kid, and they were fishermen. Their that family, and then he went off. He went to World War II. Flew B-17s and mm. B-29s. And he made it back. Did both. both? Yeah. He went went to Germany, and then he went to the other theater yeah. and, and did that. Wow. B-29s. Came home. Yeah. And uh, went to work for his <laughs> sister's. He had, he had eight brothers and sisters, and his sister's husband was a Packard dealer. So he went to work for him. And, Packard and, is in the car. Yeah. Okay. It was at one point. They thought it was. <laughs> Basically, went there sweeping floors. And by the 60s, he had... I think four franchises or so on of his own. So he went from sweeping floors to having dealerships. Yeah. Okay. And then when and when I was a kid, I he put me through the same routine. Oh. You had to fly B-17s. And- no, I didn't yeah. do that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Funny part was I was told he, he taught himself how to fly with some little, like like a Piper Cub kind of thing, something, you know, something that was sitting in Capitola where he lived and had been in a field or something, and he taught himself how to get it off the ground. For yeah. fun. Yeah, those things you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody does that, right? Right, yeah. So you were born 1950. I grew up just a couple hours north, in, or really an hour north in San Bruno. Um, and I know Santa Cruz from when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s. Right. How did 1950s, 1960s Santa Cruz compare? Oh, it's, once the university got going, everything changed here. Do you see Santa Cruz? Yeah. The banana slugs. It was a normal town. <laughs> till they what are you came saying along. now, Bruce Canepa? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You heard what I said. <laughs> Double down. 
<laughs> and that's not how it was in the 50s. No. It was a pretty normal town. It was it was almost like a Midwest town on the beach, you know? Okay. Bunch of hardworking people. And, and you knew university, obviously, it got big here and took over the politics and everything. So that that's why I came to Scotts Valley, got out of Santa Cruz, because here it's completely different. Okay. Yeah, because we're basically kind of adjacent city that's yeah. a little bit more upscale. Relatively. So as a kid, when your dad's got the dealership and you start getting put through the same thing, like how old are you before you start start getting your hands dirty? Well, I literally loved cars when I was, dad says, like four, because back then you could stand up in the front seat. There were no seatbelts, remember? You don't remember that, but there were no seatbelts. And I could name, he said I could name every car coming at us. And, uh, and I and wanted no to go. no seatbelt, you could identify exactly. how it was going to go. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, uh, I wanted to go to his shop by the time I was 10. And about 12, he, he let me come after school and start working. And, and I did... You know, I look back and it's the best thing that happened, but I started sweeping floors. Yeah. And then when I did that perfect, and I was, I was obviously a perfectionist about everything, you know, a long time ago. My little models won all the contests, you know. <laughs> but basically I swept floors and when I did that perfect and stuff, and then I got to learn how to wash cars and I got to learn how to detail cars and I got to go to the body shop. Mm-hmm. And, and I spent, I spent what people, you know, call, you know, apprenticeship and journeyship, journeyman. You know, I, I worked after school and all that stuff from the time I was 12, 13 till, till I left him in 81 when I went, started my own dealerships and stuff. So, and I, you know, I ran the used car lot and then sales department and then the dealership and, and, uh, did all of it. So, so the story I read was that your dad basically like put down, I'd say like credit for you for working to get a car, to get your first car. Is that he did okay way of putting it? Yeah, like basically, like you're working your ass off. I'll get you the car. Yeah, okay. And then well, I had to, I had to pay for any maintenance. I had to pay for insurance. I had to pay the interest because cars in a new car dealership are on a flooring account, you know. Okay. So it's what it's, does that mean? Well, a, a bank will give you, or the manufacturer will give you ten million dollars worth of flooring credit. Oh, as a dealership. As a yeah, dealership. Yeah. Okay. And you just yeah. pay the interest on it. So, and it in twelve months, one way or the other, car's got to be off the flooring account. Dad said, if you if you lose money on the car, you got to pay the difference. And uh, if you make money, well, everybody wanted my cars. I ordered the coolest cars. I think the first thing I ordered was like a 65 Comet. I was 15. Yeah. And I, but I sent, had it sent over to Holman Moody and put a 427 <laughs> in it. And when it showed up on the transporter out in front of his place, um, it was the only one with no vinyl top and these little baby hubcaps on it, block wall tires, you know. Everything else was shiny. And my dad thought it was, you know, not coming here. <laughs> it wasn't coming to his place. Yeah. And he walked out there, and the window sticker on it was more than a Lincoln. <laughs> and he tells the guy, take that back. We're not taking it. And the guy says, I can't take it back. Right. This is here. Yeah. Anyway, and I sold it and made lots of money. <laughs> so everybody wanted those cars I had. Yeah. So even when it came like the first car, the idea of always go for the premium was, was very much your mindset. Well, the premium then was about performance, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I never did things really exactly like everybody else. I had another vision of what stuff should be. Okay. Is it the thrill of the sale for you, or is it like because obviously I know you like cars, but it sounds like you took as much interest in changing them pretty quickly, even at an early age, and then flipping it. Well, for me, I love all kinds of cars, I, and I have since I was a kid. It could be a Ford, a Chevy, it could be all kinds of things. But my dad was a Ford Lincoln Mercury dealer, and he mm-hmm. had BMW, and he had. Now, were these Santa Cruz dealerships or all yeah, around the Bay Area? Santa Cruz. Okay. For me, it was always how to make the thing better looking, cooler. Yeah. You know, starting with the color I ordered, 
the options and then changing everything. And I think I've changed every car I've ever owned. I believe I that. Guess, yeah, I guess Ryan's question on that is, if you're looking at that, there's two ways you can look at it. You're just, you're either a natural-born detail guy or a natural-born salesman. And if you're a detail guy, the salesman is just sort of a, a byproduct of it. Yeah, I think the, I think for me it was the, the detail guy. Yeah. And my dad taught me how to be a salesman guy, so yeah. trust me, it was not easy to sell Lincoln as a marketer. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the most common bits of feedback we have on Bruce Canepa is that he's got a really good idea for detail and changes and customizations. And so it started even as an early on project for you. You get a car, you'd customize it. Where does that come from? Is that something that you see in your dad or your mom, or is it completely unique to you? I don't even know. I was yeah. an artist when I was a kid. Oh, really? Okay. In school. Yeah. There's, there's drawings in here in my my studio. My mom kept a bunch of stuff, thank God. But my original drawings when I was like 12 were in there. And, of course, the teachers were mad because I was supposed to draw buildings or houses or whatever they tell you to draw. Yeah. And you drew cars. cars. Yeah. I'm drawing things to look like Ed Roth, you know, and this crazy cars and yeah. all that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that started early. And then models, you know, back then models was a big deal, right? Yeah, you you'd mentioned this earlier, and I saw this in, in a few interviews that I read up on. You you said that you would build model cars and win all the contests was the quote. Yeah. I did. So I don't know what this is, and I want to know what a what a model car. So well, you buy a model car, right? So there, there's less model car, car car culture today among kids. Yeah. I would argue, but well, really, <laughs> but you know, like the the well, I don't know if it's well back then you yeah. had Ravel and Monogram right. and all these companies, right? And the model came, and it was a white plastic body and right, a bunch and it's of like parts. a one eighteen scale, whatever, yeah, one twenty fourth, whatever. Yeah. And I would modify the whole car. Oh, so you're not building it as it's given to you in the kit? Hell no. Okay, you're making it into your version <laughs> oh, no. of this thing. And my dad it? had a body shop, so I could mold it. I could paint it with cool lacquer paints. Right. I could do all kinds of things with it. So, but what is a con- what is when you say all the contests? I don't know what it- what is a model well, car they- contest. Well, they had model car contests. We had big hobby shops. Okay. Even in Santa Cruz, it was like two of them, and and they'd have contests, and then you'd go to this other place in San Jose, and they had a bigger one. So you'd bring your model there, and they you know show them all off and give you know two dollar trophies to everybody. So, dad sells American cars. You get the idea. You want to start selling cars yourself. Now, are you trying to plead with him to sell Mercedes and stuff, or is that something you do on your own? When I was 19, he took in a Porsche. And really, at that time, the worst 911, a 68 911L from a doctor in Carmel. And the doctor bought a Lincoln, traded it in. I snuck it off the lot at night, up the used car lot, went and drove it the next night and the next night and the next night. It was pretty funny because the used car manager, who was a bit of an alcoholic, Bill kept trying to figure out what the mileage was on it because he thought for sure it was this. But he was never sober enough to really know it was that. And in 30 days, I think I put a 1,000 miles on nice. that thing at night. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I fell in love with Porsche when I drove that car. There was no question. And it was just I was hooked and told my dad, we should sell these. Started selling them on the used car lot. There's pictures of my dad's used car lot, and, and he built an incredible store in Santa Cruz because at the time he built a mausoleum. Okay. And everybody said, that's not going to work. And, and the whole car lot was full of Porsches, Mercedes, and BMWs. Yeah. So when I think of a used car lot, I yeah. don't think of what you're talking about. <laughs> right. And, but it almost seemed like this is how you had to prove the market. Well, there was no, there was no profit in Lincolns and Mercury's in those cars. It just sold them. And all the money the dealership made, I made in the used car department. I ran the used car department, and that's what we sold. So was this, what was it? Was It wasn't called Canopy Used Cars, was it? No, no, it was, okay. it was Palomar, Lincoln, Mercury, Ford, Lincoln, Mercury, International Trucks. It was Palomar was in my dad's company's name. That was name. his chain, okay. Yeah. So then when I was running the stores, we got to this point where I said, Dad, the Mercedes dealer was across the street from us in a grocery store, 
and it was a franchise that was given to the Monterey Mercedes dealer, Stahl. So it's got nothing to do with you guys. It's nothing to do with us. Right. And, and, the, and the daughter and the son-in-law got it, and they didn't want it. They lived okay. up in, they lived in Berkeley. Okay. He was a, a an instructor at Berkeley. He was like a PhD, and he wanted nothing to do with the car because he didn't want to come look at the place. And so, there was a point where I could buy it for almost nothing. Yeah. And I told Dad, Dad, we got to buy this. Nope, I don't want to buy this. I said, Dad, we have to buy this. This and franchise is really the German thing at this point. Yeah, it was hot, yeah. you know. Yeah. And and the other store that was but for his sale. resistance is the German thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, and and any and, and the Asian thing because the other store that was uh, available okay. was yeah. the Toyota store. Right. But that if these are the two fronts he bombed on, the, I understand this. He didn't, yeah. 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 <laughs> he didn't really fought against. Yeah. 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 So then, really, at that point, my dad and I had been close for a long time, but we split at that point. I went on my own. Okay. And it was the best thing in the world. But my dad luckily owned properties and stuff, so he was able to you know sell off the stores and yeah. and retire and play on his boat, which was great. The the market that you created for yourself was your ability to resell these things because you did the very thing that you were doing as a, as a seven-year-old with monogram models, right? You're yeah. saying like, here's my car, here's the things I can do to, to make it awesome, and I can turn it around for this much more, just like you would with a monogram car winning a contest. But here's my question. When you say the Lincolns don't resell the same way you could with a Merc or a BMW, is it that maybe you as the detail guy wasn't as excited? Well, I wasn't excited. Right. And I have to be excited about something or I can't sell it. And that's, that's my point. Is like looking at this shop, this is built by a guy that's excited about what he's doing, and a Lincoln is simply not exciting. Sorry, Lincoln. <laughs> Until Ford sponsors this show, and now they're great. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but my point is like, I have a feeling you only do it if it's exciting. And a Lincoln or a Mercury is simply not ex- exciting at that time. I sell with passion. Right. So if I don't have a passion for it. I'm not going to sell, sell it. it because ultimately it's your product that you're selling. Yeah, you. I, and by the time I was 30, I had enough car experience to know good from bad for the most part. Yeah. So I believe sales can come from a couple of different tactics, but um, some people can sell because they're really good at reading a person saying, here's what I can do to, to kind of poke holes in this person and get them to like what I'm doing. Other people sell because they feel the enthusiasm off the guy selling or girl. Um, and in your case, I think it's your enthusiasm. I'm guessing that everybody that buys a car from me said, I bought it because of your enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, and it right. just, so this is, this makes you know, sense to me. became so. my enthusiasm and made it yeah. easy. Yeah. So, so you split with dad. I split it down. Amicably? Oh, like, was it okay? Oh, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it was, it was more so with my dad than my mom. My mom, she said, you leave, you get nothing. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Because I had this deal where I had earned of some value in the company. Yeah. She says, you can't so you're, leave. You're saying, why, why was she so upset by this? She, well, because she knew my brother wasn't the answer for the store, partially. Uh, you know, well, look, he had zero experience. I mean, there's no way he could all of a sudden know how to run a dealership. And and uh, so she was upset about that. And then, So your dad has spent all this time building this legacy, and you're letting it just go away. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so, sense. so basically, I just I went on my own. I opened a body shop because I knew that business really well. And... and uh, had a body shop and I had a little used car lot, little little junky building and a bunch of used cars and and really started from scratch because I I didn't have I didn't have a lot of money. I had enough to do that, but basically and I started out at a different level. I couldn't go buy used Porsches and Mercedes to start with. So I bought like Toyota pickup trucks and put cool wheels and tires on them and took off all the silly emblems and you know did things like that and and didn't do the normal junky chromey big wheels i mean my wheels were almost all my wheels are graphite metallic they have been since i was 12 nice. <laughs> yeah you know yeah but yeah. i was doing that with used cars i mean you come to my lot and nothing was stock nothing was left alone it was it's yeah. simple stuff uh, you know and for me less is more it was really understated mm-hmm. not not a bunch of graphics not a bunch of junk just sure. simple you hear that magnus walker 
Yeah. <laughs> calling you out. I'm Bruce Canepa. I am calling him out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Anyway, so, yeah. that, so that's where I started. And then I worked my way up to Porsches and Mercedes and BMWs and, and then built a dealership around that. And then it had some new car dealerships. I ended up with the Porsche Audi BMW store in Monterey, and I ended up with a Mitsubishi store, which was a disaster. But I had uh, Porsche Audi BMW Monterey. I had a Lamborghini Maserati store in Santa Cruz with all the other exotics. And uh, and Lamborghini, I liked Lamborghini. I'd, Maserati was a piece of shit. You yeah, know, right. I mean, it was just day Tomas. Oh, my God. It was a joke. And I should have known that because we had Panteras when my dad was a Lincoln Mercury dealer. Yeah. And the Panteras that went to the East Coast from Italy, they weren't rusted. By the time they went through the Panama Canal and came oh, to this wow. side. Oh, wow. That's all it took. They yeah. were, that's all it took. Yeah. Wow. That's funny. That's okay. all it took. Yeah. Almost every car on the West Coast had to be repainted. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even put primer on those cars. Good guy. He's trying to sell these as these supercars. Yeah. 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 He made a deal with Ford, yeah. took all the money and handed him something. Yeah. It was crazy. And I did design work. I did Kenworth's design work for these. And and um, I did the drawings, which I still have, and took them to Kenworth. And they laughed at me when I took them the drawing of that truck like that. Yeah. And then when I left, the, the salespeople and, the, and all of them called me up and they said, we're not laughing. That was our general manager who happened to come from Peterbilt. And, he, you know, he only knows long-nosed trucks with big headlights. Yeah, right. So we think you're on to something. So yeah. I ended up doing the first of that truck with Kenworth. Yeah, and for the listeners at home, you're pointing out a massive mural of a Kenworth truck, which is like yeah. the cooler-looking ones that you T- see. T-600, 1983. Yeah. So. It was interesting because when we built it, and they helped, us to, they helped us with the money to build the prototype, it was quite, it was interesting because they they didn't want their general manager to know it because he said no. So each department pulled together their twenty five thousand dollar budget yeah, right. Right. to give me enough money and a truck to go build that thing. Yeah, and we built it, and uh, and it went to a major truck show in an isolated booth from Kenworth, but right next door. Yeah, and. The first days, it was like, what did this guy build? You know, why did he do this? Or, I had hubcaps on the wheels, those those big discs, which yeah. you see on lots of them now. Right. And, but they were body color, spun aluminum, and, <clears throat> and all this stuff. And guys were looking at this thing, and aero strut on the mirror struts and everything. And, and it was like two days of guys questioning it. And the third day, everybody's like, this is cool. They kept coming back. And by the fourth day, Kenworth was having posters made for me to sign as fast yeah. as I could. How cool is that? So that truck was a hit. You know that fast, yeah. And uh, and the rest is history. Everything's aerodynamic now. Where does the love for trucks come from? And like, how do you how do you start that venture where you get to the point where you're even sitting down with people that are in charge of it? Well, the love for trucks started with my dad because he was an international truck dealer. Okay. And he had and he did mostly vocational trucks, dump trucks, sand transfers, concrete mixers, garbage trucks. It was mostly vocational, not a lot of over the road. Yeah. So then, how do you go from being a car dealer to a guy that's getting even the meeting to design one? Well. Um, you just go knock on the door. Okay. Basically, I just, I drew it and then, and I had met a couple of their guys. So I went there and got a meeting and showed them what I thought it could look like. And then I made deals with Kenworth and started getting royalties and stuff on the trucks. And I, I actually did a, a, a fair amount of their truck design work from 83 to 98, all of it. But how are you getting these meetings to get like a, yeah. a 1500 car fleet account? Like with, with Chevy, like that doesn't come from just... I don't know that any dealer in across well, the country I, can I just knew, get that. I knew who to talk to first because in the beginning, I, I also had that company that builds trailers in Fresno Concept. And at that time, in 86, I, I bought that company in 85 or 86, and it was little, and then they built it up. And by the late 80s, we were the largest supplier of transporters in the, in the racing industry. Yeah. 
there was an article in a magazine where 30 of the cars in Indianapolis were transported in our trucks and trailers. Uh, okay. So, you know, I got to be friends with Roger Penske. I built him his trucks and I don't know trailers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and and it was not just him. It was everybody. I yeah. mean, yeah. AJ, I said, I, I framed a check from AJ Foyt. They said, AJ Foyt doesn't give a check to anybody. I had a big check from AJ Foyt. Oh, yeah. Wait, I, I didn't know that. Why is that? Because he got so much stuff free. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. yeah! You, you yeah. want me? You want me to do your truck? Give it to me. Right. You want your trailer out there? Foyt. Give yeah. it to me. I'm yeah. AJ, I'm AJ Foyt. Foyt. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, yeah. he was a great promoter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, so basically, I did Newman Haas stuff. I did all those guys. Yeah. Every one of them. So, that did introduce me to a lot of people inadvertently, right? Yeah. A mm-hmm. lot of different you guys. You actually use a motorsport paddock. Yeah. For what you're supposed to, <laughs> to use to, a motorsport paddock to, for. To further the street side yeah. of things yeah. in business. Yeah. So you know, through that, at that time, I met the president of GM. You know, because you know, because he was a friend with Rogers, you know, and then yeah. then I get the Suburban and build it. And funny, then Roger wanted to buy that Suburban. But, uh, you know, it, it just grew out of opportunities being in the right place at the right time by accident, you know, so, part of it. I mean, uh, kind of jumping to modern day, you're, you're, you're mostly known for high-end exotics and, and really cool, just the coolest Porsches out there. But there's a much bigger market for, like, C10 Chevy trucks, you know, that you could be doing aftermarket bumpers and bodies and all that stuff. Is it just because it's not as interesting and you don't necessarily need the money? Well, there's never enough money. Yeah. <laughs> because money for me is just a tool. Oh. It just lets me, it just allows me to do a Sean bunch says the of, same thing all yeah, the time. Yeah, absolutely. Man, <laughs> money doesn't do, matter to me at all. Porsche's <laughs> excited me since I was 19. Yeah. Okay. That's never changed. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's for a really simple reason. I right. said, I've driven, God, almost everything probably. Haven't owned it, but have driven it for sure. I said, even today with all the modern supercars and all the modern sports cars, because everybody now is a sports car business, you know, Ford's Mustang is a sports car. And, I mean, everybody got into that. Yeah. And I've driven all of them for 30 years, right? And no matter how much stuff I drive, you get back in a portion, it does everything right. Yeah. I mean, it sits right, the pedals are right, the steering wheel's right, the visibility, the sound, the feel, it checks all the boxes. Yeah. I mean, it does it more so than anybody, everybody else is trying to figure that combination out and and not that it's like the perfect combination but it's the combination that feels good you know and the results speak for themselves in all their racing and history but so i've never i'm always a porsche guy forever i said that's that's my favorite car you know because there was a time when it was all ferrari stuff and i bought a ferrari and then i sold i sold a lot of ferraris too but they never did anything for me because they were they weren't they weren't that great to drive they were okay yeah and they were beautiful you know, on and off, they had beautiful cars. But for me, it's get in the car, and I'm going to take it out and take you on the edge of a limit that we're not supposed to do, right. you know. And the Porsche will do that. And to that point, we, like, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep hammering that you do what, you, what excites you. So you've been quoted as saying that there's actually bigger numbers and more margin in. So right now, we're, we're in a shop filled with, all, I mean, many different vintage cars, but a lot of them towards the Porsche realm of Porsches you've done things to to, yeah. to, to make into really cool vintage cars. Um, you've been quoted as saying the Ferrari market's even bigger in terms of dollar signs. Yeah. Um, and yet you've chosen to stay in the Porsche realm, even though there might be more money in Ferrari because it seems like Porsches are more exciting to you. They are. Yeah. yeah. For, and for every reason. From, so you're chasing the, the thing that excites you more so than where the money yeah, is. Yeah, from quality. So. Yeah, because for me, a car, it's not wall art. Right. For me, it's get in it and drive it. As in it can't just sit in a garage. It can't just sit in a garage and just sit around. And I said, that's okay if that's what people want to do. But I said... I want to get in a car and drive it, and I want it to drive better than it looks. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I want it to be able to 
um, do that, you know, in a sustainable manner, just keeps going. You're not fixing it all the time. Yeah, that's my right. dating philosophy. And, <laughs> and, and you can drive it at limits that nobody's believed you could do anything in with a car. But again, if you were purely in this for the dollars, you wouldn't be doing it to this. If I was degree. purely in it for the dollars, I wouldn't do this business at all. Yeah, that makes sense. No, this is, this is your, everything you see here is passion. Well, we should kind of finish the, because there's two, there's two Bruce Cannabis here. There's the racer and then there's the businessman. And I think now in your life, you've kind of merged the two together and we haven't even really touched on any of your racing whatsoever which is really unique background but let's finish the just the timeline of, of professional life for for business you're designing trucks you go from doing kenworth kenworth to suvs and then we're now and we're, the, we're really doing them all at the same time okay so now we're into the 90s when does this take place where we this, are now this shop well yeah first of all we were downtown mm -hmm. and we were in one two three Downtown Scotts Valley? No, Santa, Santa Cruz. Cruz. Okay. And we were dealing with downtown Santa Cruz um, <laughs> on the east side. You're saying liberal Santa Cruz well, may not, not have been so friendly to this kind of thing. No. Yeah. And, um, and, and you know, and, and, and lots of things going on with it. You know, you, you couldn't do business in Santa Cruz, and, and you can't unless you're, depending on what you're selling, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and we were out of room. We were, we were five buildings in, in a, in a, half a block all spread out moving stuff all around move this to get that and it's a and we were out of we were out of space mm -hmm. and and then i said okay i gotta get out of santa cruz i looked over the hill i looked different places and i said i looked in monterey i said that's pretty remote for access to lots of things and and san jose was getting already getting crowded and nothing like la but still sure. <clears throat> i said how do you even road test a car over there you can't and i just kept looking around and then um, I was going to build a building. I was actually going to build like a 35,000-foot building, thinking that would do everything I need. And then I came to Scotts Valley. And, I, of course, I knew Scotts Valley, but I came up here, and I just kind of drove around and hung around. I said, Shit, it's, it's 25 minutes to San Jose. It's 45 minutes to Monterey. We're up here out of the heavy traffic on one, which is ridiculous. You know, they, they won't fix the freeway, so they want to jam up the people there not and park them all day. And I said, and, and up here is a very conservative area in terms of you know crime everything that they're just not gonna let it happen right but anyway it's you know it's turned out to be just a godsend yeah and and this whole area is nice and you know it's uh you know other than our cost of living in california is insane and that's the biggest hurdle we have with people you know to work but uh yeah. but other than that i can't imagine being anywhere else Okay, so what's the first thing you guys start cranking out of this? We, we, I brought the first 959 in the United States in 88, 87, 88. It was the first one here. It was here on a tourist visa. And then Otis Chandler got one, and somebody else got one, and somebody else got one. And all of a sudden, I had 10 of these sitting in the foreign trade zone. Yeah. Couldn't move them. You know, they were just sitting there. And I brought one out on the TIB, temporary import bond, to start figuring out how to certify it. Ran into all these hurdles, ended up meeting a, an attorney in Washington, D.C. I, I mean, it was, and this was a long process. This was, guy said, I can't help you. Who can? Try this guy. Who can? I, I never would accept you couldn't do it. Somehow I see that. Ended up with a law firm in Washington. The guy's name was Warren Dean. Um, it's a lobby firm. It's at one Watergate circle, if you remember Watergate. <laughs> it's that firm. John Dean, this was his nephew. Nice. Didn't know anything about cars. And I said, look, here's the deal. You know, or they're not, locks. They're not, yeah. they're not homologated. 
for the U.S. Yeah. We don't want to crash test them. They're too valuable, and, and there's only 290 of them in the world. And, um, but we want to make them legal to drive them. And so we went around and around, and I said, I can do emissions. We can make them emissions legal. We know that's the right thing to do. So we passed a bill called Show or Display, and it passed in 98 on the Senate Transportation Bill. Yeah. And from then on, we, we brought in 10959s through this place mm-hmm. of the 292. And uh, so that, that w- was a fair amount of business right from the beginning because by the time the bill got passed, it was 98. It was almost 10 years later. We were a writer on two bills that never went through. And then because Warren's thought, we'll take a real low profile with this thing, keep it under the, you know, kind of where nobody notices it. Right, right. And then, he, then at some point he said, the Senate Transportation Bill is going through no matter what's on it. And he said, I just got to go talk to everybody and, and sort that out. Sneak this one little bullet point in. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And, and so that's, anyway, that's so, some gangster stuff. So like here we are. Senator, you know, yeah. Senator and, yeah. Bruce and the, and the cool thing was lobbyist. it was a bill that, that it was about cars that were 500 or less in, in production, although it wasn't a set number. That was what the idea was, 500 or less cars that were not homologated for the U.S. And to qualify, it had to be historically or technically significant. Okay. So the Speedtail came in under shore display. The Gordon Murray car comes in under yeah, shore okay. display. Bugattis have come in under shore display. Yeah. Pagani's. There's a whole bunch of cars that got in this country. There's. If you go to the NHTSA website, mm-hmm. there's a hundred cars on there that, uh, you know, that are approved. That they wouldn't be here if it wasn't for so shore if display. I, if there's a random European car, I, want, I don't have this agenda, but if there's a random European car I wanted to bring in, how do I make it historically significant? It, well, you don't. They decide if it's historically or technically do to, significant. Do you have to lobby it somehow? Yeah, you have to make an application. There's a process to make an application. I did the process for the Gordon Murray car for the T50. And you say, this is why it's technically or historically significant. That car's both, basically. And um, and then they have a you know a, a committee that reviews all this and decides if it is or it isn't. Yeah. So if you go to the NHTSA website, 993 Porsche RS that never came here, 964 RS that never came here, you know, all these odd cars that are approved, that's it. Now, you're not going to bring in just a generic sedan of something. But if it's really significant, technically or... or uh, so how many, how many senators are you bankrolling? No, none. How many times have you seen a briefcase full of cash? Not very often. Not very often. Okay. No, that, okay. that, those days are gone. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it a better show. Yeah. <laughs> Tons. Yeah. We, we, did have, we did have this one guy. You, you talk about that. Back in the... It was in the 80s. And it was when I, and when, when I was selling, when I started, got rolling enough to sell Porsches and Ferraris and stuff. In the late 80s, I sold a ton of Ferraris, you know, mostly newer <laughs> ones, but just tons. Because the Japanese were buying everything. Sure. Okay. All right. The bank wall and center. But so were the drug dealers, right? <laughs> yes. Over there it is. Finally. There it is. We so, got there. Yeah. Yeah. So we had yeah. this one guy would come in and buy this car and he'd, and he'd put it in a name. And then he'd come back and buy another car, and it's in another name. Right. Yep. They buy another car in another name, and, and you had to report what over ten thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So we're reporting, you know, here's two hundred thousand, here's one hundred eighty thousand. Because he's giving you cash. He's giving us cash. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. So we're reporting it. We reported it for three years, and then all of a sudden the Fed show up one day. Uh, yeah. Right. And they got go stolen money. They go, yeah. um, um, these cars. Is this guy? He's got a picture of it. Yeah. That picture and that name was not any of the names about the car. Yeah. Right. Not one. Right. right. I said. The picture's right. The name's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they said, well, we need to see what he's bought. So we showed him. We showed him all the deals. Yeah. And we yeah. bought all these cars. It was, it was 10 cars or something for <laughs> right. a period of time. And we showed yeah. him all these cars. And he said, well, you're in trouble because you're supposed to report this. I said, here. We yeah, reported yeah. everyone. Yeah, yeah. We did. Yeah. 
A and Z aren't connected. Right, right. right. So we reported everyone yeah. to whatever federal agency, sure. and, and yeah. the other guys had. You no, know, this no guy idea. was El Chopo. I don't yeah. know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, he yeah. got he ended up getting arrested at some point, but he yeah. didn't. He wasn't gone very long. He came back and he was buying cars again. Weird. <laughs> yeah, Isn't weird. That weird how that happens. <laughs> we call that breaking out. Yeah. yeah. And, but then he was buying them under his name. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> we got there. Yeah. I'm proud. That's awesome. What did that thing cost when it when it first showed up? They were like uh, they were just about three hundred thousand dollars. Okay, but in nineteen eighty seven. Eighty seven. Yeah, it was yeah. An expensive car. Yeah, but you're also kind of the sole importer, so I assume you can kind of dictate the rules as you want. Well, um, we were well, we weren't the anybody could do what we did right. once the law was passed. But as the guy that sort of created but the we entree, did I assume yeah. you had. And we we had we had a relationship with the with the powers to be in in Washington in in we NHTSA call it a to do this stuff. No, I'm just talking about even at the government, you know, at, at the it's an, at the NHTSA level, yeah. we had relationships. You know, it goes like, look, I mean, Dick Merritt would call me up and say, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. So, And he knew that I wasn't going to shortchange anything, you know. I mean, there were, there were guys that said they made did smog emission stuff that didn't do it. We, mm-hmm. were, we were lab testing every car at a certified lab and passing them. We got them so clean, it, it made them wonder how we did it, you right. know, which we did. And, and, uh, and you know, we, we did all of it. We did everything was done. And there's no compromises in how I do things. And, you know, it's do it right. And, and sometimes it's to a fault because I just say it's not good enough. We're doing it again. But that's what we did. So so those things were 300 k back in 1987. What are they What are they worth now? Well, a stock one is now a $2 million car. Right. A stock one. And then what's a Canapa 959 worth? Three and a half million. And how many of them are in this room next to us? 14. <laughs> Okay, that, I didn't see that number. Yeah, one of the questions I have for you is like, what is that room? How much yeah. is that? How much, how much is, is in that, that room? Building? Yeah, I don't want to know. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's all. Yeah. And I don't want my insurance company to know. That's <laughs> right. Sure. right. You, you just listed you have fourteen times three and a half. Yeah. in just one yeah. set of cars here, and that's a like over your shoulder. There's an F forty rear hatch. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm, like just that alone. I'm like, what? well, there's an F forty there too. Though. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when you have cars like that and you have that kind of value based around it, your clientele becomes pretty, pretty, you know, high altitude customers, right? So how difficult is it dealing with somebody who's used to getting what they want, but they don't see your vision with, let's say, a 959? Well, what's interesting is it didn't come overnight. It's taken 40 years to get people to trust that just give it to Bruce and let him do it. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. That didn't happen. In fact, I tell people it was only three years ago, maybe it's four now or whatever, but it's only in the last three or four years that people call on the phone and say, I want to buy a Canapa car. Mm -hmm. They don't call and say, I want to buy a Porsche or Ferrari. I want to buy a Canapa car. And I was recommended and I've seen what you've done. And so in my, you know, it's obviously there's not a Canapa car, but it's, it's what we do. And it might be a completely stock car. But they want one from here because of the way we do everything. And it's everything we do. If every car we sell, forget 959s for a minute. If we sell, if we sell a, whatever it is, it goes in our shop and the guys are, do a complete inspection. And whatever it needs, it gets done. doesn't matter what it is. It's everything. And every car gets road tested. I have two retired guys that drive the cars. And our road tests are minimum 125 miles. And some of them four and five hundred miles, and we we drive. And then when everybody says it's done, we think it's done. Every night there's a car parked outside that I'm driving home, yeah. and I've got everything they did. And I go drive, and I'm the one that says it's done yeah. or it's not done. Well, and and I spoke with somebody who used to work with you, and he said he was shocked the first time he saw how you drove because apparently, and I think this is a good thing that you thrashed the shit out of him. I drive him. Yeah, you know, 
I drive them, and I don't want my technicians to go out and go 100. Right. I want them to just drive them normal. Right. But I drive them and lean on the brakes and put them through the corners and see what's and wrong. and you know I mean I drove race cars long enough and I'm I don't break things. It's just uh, you know you can do it really smooth, but it just to somebody riding with you they might think it's like oh <laughs> shit, you know. But my thing is whether it's a road car or a race car, get it done, test it, make sure it's right because if I put a guy in a good race car then I'm not worried about him having some big shunt because the car doesn't work, right? Or it's going to fail. And that's, you got to do that because I, I, I'm lucky. I got to do this my whole life starting when I was a kid. And most guys, they, they got to this point in their life and made enough money. Now they're going to race. And they, and they, and unfortunately they think because I have money, I can also race. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they don't go together all the time. Oh, but, we know. Most times. Especially but, but, <laughs> but they got to, they got to have good equipment sure. or, or, you know, they don't even have a chance if they don't have good equipment. Yeah. So. And we'll, uh, at the, towards the end of the podcast, we'll ask some sort of fun, generic stuff about customers and what you will and won't deal with, because uh, I'm sure we both know the types. Yeah. But well, I on, won't ride with any of them. But, <laughs> well, you shouldn't. Um, but, but on a business level, and then I want to talk some racing, but on a business level, um, it's, it's been said that you're very uncompromising on what it's going to cost because you know what you're going to do, and that's not going to change. But it's true, because yeah. I spend more, I always spend more than I even think I'm going to spend. Right. And, and it's crazy, and people would never believe this unless they want to come audit the books. Probably at least 15% of the cars or 20% of the cars I sell, because of the way I do them, I make no money or lose money on them. It's a terrible business, sir. Yeah. Let me tell you about podcasting. Yeah. Also, don't, um, don't say that on here. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, but, you, know you do all this work, yeah. and right. then you get done at the end, and you already committed the price here, and you say, but you're it cost right. me this oh, year. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, right. I, you know, I said I think I got to spend twenty grand because well, you're car gonna obsess and spend, on the details that I, you feel are needed. Oh yeah, and not look at how to change it. And yeah. I won't. I I will not count the dollars to get it done right. until it's done. So you know, but on that level, so if I buy a nine thirty five and I'm like, I want to get, I want to take it to Canada because he's going to do it right. Right. And you will just make up a number. You give me a, a six, a, a seven figure quote. Right. And I'm like, well, I've only got six figure budget. Are you just going to turn me away, or are you going to work with my budget? I'm going to turn you away. Yeah. Either you do it, first of all, it puts everybody that's in the business in a position where they got to compromise the quality of the work to get to the number, yeah. right? And and it's one thing to compromise the, the, the margin, yeah. but the margins aren't from 650 to $1,350,000. A million dollar project has a 10% margin. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Labor's expensive, materials are expensive. That's still 100 and, grand. And now, <laughs> yeah, and now worse than ever. You know? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Everything's gotten so expensive that the margin's shrinking quickly. And, and I tell guys, I couldn't do, you couldn't do this business over again. Sure. I could not start if I was 31 today. There's no way I could walk away from my dad and start my own business. Right. It's just and not going to happen. what if I'm, I'll just make up a name, uh, <laughs> and I say, I need it in six weeks. But you know it's a three-month project. We tell them it's three months. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. Mm-hmm. Do you commit to deadlines, or do you just say it's done when it's done? Um, we commit to deadlines. Look, we need deadlines, too, right? Not in and, video. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but we do. and Because uh, if you don't have deadlines, stuff won't get done. So across the board, we make sure everybody knows there's a date this has to be done. Unfortunately, since COVID, it's you, it's hard to meet those deadlines anymore because the whole world is for what you're friggin' get. unproductive now. And the stuff you get that's wrong, you know, it's made wrong, it's damaged. It's the whole world's changed in that regard. So it's we used to say, look, I can do because I don't want cars sitting around. I said we could do a full ground up restoration, up to four thousand hours in labor, and have it delivered in two years, in here. And we did it over and over. Today, you've got to add a year and a half to that because the outside world, you can't even order paint and get it in two or three days. It's five and six weeks. 
everything in the supply chain hasn't improved. That's, you know, it'll improve when people stop buying things. It can't keep up with, there's less people working, there's less people making things, so more it, making it's things. way off in terms right. of, there's no surplus anymore. So if I buy a vintage of whatever and bring it to you, it's going to be three and a half plus years before I get it back. Yeah, if, if it's a ground-up restoration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, we should probably talk about racing. Yeah, that's it. The show's <laughs> called Dinner with Racers. We've been here an hour. We haven't talked about a single lap. Well, okay, so very obvious that you do a lot of vintage racing now, and I would say it's pretty obvious to a lot of people that you did Porsches throughout your career, but what probably doesn't come up is that you started with dirt racing, like yeah. doing some sprint I, racing, sprint car racing? Well, I had no money, and and my dad wasn't going to support racing. He, he just thought I'd get killed. <laughs> and my mom signed a NASCAR license that I was 16 when I was 15. Because your mom was the racer. She the liked family. it. Yeah. <laughs> and I drove, I went to Watsonville Speedway down oh, yeah. here in Watsonville. Yeah. It was a little quarter-mile track. And my dad's body shop manager and his brother, who worked in my dad's body shop, they built a 58 Ford. They actually, it was an Edsel, and they made it a Ford. They didn't want to have an Edsel, so they changed the sheet metal. <laughs> and they built it, and they never raced it. And it was a, you know, it was a dirt oval oh, track. they built it for them. Yeah. For them. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering, like, how would this get and, my dad? And I yeah, just, right. okay, and yeah, I just yeah. kept saying, you guys got to let me drive it. Because they, they got it so nice, they didn't want to drive it. And and luckily, because you know my dad was their boss, I convinced him to let me drive it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. um, <laughs> other than yeah. almost yeah. other than destroying it the first night, yeah. <laughs> tore almost every fender off the thing, and that's where I started. I started at Watsonville Speedway racing these dirt cars, and then then I went to Sportsman, which was a winged car with a 358 inch motor. There's a picture upstairs of one. They, you had a 50, a mid 50 like a 57 Chevy frame, and then you took a body. 50 Chevy, whatever you want, and you narrowed it up to the width of the frame, and you had big eight lug axle in the back so the wheels didn't break off, and, and a Franklin hub on the right front, and big fat tires, and a wing. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was... But you it's know, all dirt old stuff. All dirt old Was stuff. this going somewhere or just to do it for fun? I just loved it. Yeah. And I loved racing, and that was a grassroots way to go racing. Right, but you weren't thinking, oh, I'm going to go to Indy someday or NASCAR or anything. Not this. really. Not, yeah. not, not that far back. Yeah. And then I, then I started racing super modifieds, and... And I got a sponsor. I got a guy that saw me drive and put me in a car. And, and um, <clears throat> so I started racing super modifieds on pavement, mostly on pavement. And they're cool. They were fast and stuff. And I got like rookie of the year the first year and then most improved driver and then ended up, you know, up somewhere up in the points. And, and it was the late 60s. It, um, this was early 70s. Okay. Yeah. So then, then the guy that had put me in a super modified said, uh, well, what do you want to do next? And, of course, his goal was to go NASCAR. He was from Louisville, Kentucky. He was out here. Um, he was a crook. He was a, in fact, he's, he was on the Tower Report. He was, he was a piece of work, you know. He had Pacific Western Energy Company. He had all these, he had mines that w didn't, weren't active, but they were active, you know, and all this stuff. So Diamond mine down in South Africa? Yeah, well, yeah. He, he did that too. Yeah. yeah. So his name was Jim Stacy, J.D. Stacy, that had all the stock car teams. Oh, no way. Yeah. That was my sponsor. Nice. Yeah. That's a real, okay. He was real. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, he made... J.R. Ewing looked like a lightweight that yeah. day. Yeah, and That's he wore amazing. the big cowboy hat right. and cigar. Yeah, is no, this where you learned that. how to bankroll senators? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he he saw me drive, put me in his super modified, yeah. and then at some point I said, Jim, I says I want to race a sprint car, yeah. and so he put up the money. Um, I ended up driving one of uh, Speedway Motors cars, one of their cars. Does Dad know about any of this? 
Huh? Does dad know about any of this at this time? My dad knew I was racing. He didn't know what I was racing. I see. So mom's on board though. Mom's on board. Dad didn't go much. He didn't like it. And and the one time he went, I had I went sixteen times end over end. So he he had enough of that. that, So, but I wanted to. I liked sprint cars. I loved them. And um, and I wasn't afraid of much. So, and you can't be in those cars. I tell guys. I said. They said, "How's it different?" I said, "Well, you start at full throttle and you're trying to never lift. (laughs) That's how you do a sprint car." Right. And I said, "If the hole's this big." You take it. Yes. And I said, and even if, you, even if you're not going to take it, you need them to think you're going to take right, it. Right, right. And I drove when it was Kinzer and Swindell and the guys. When you looked at it, you said, there's 30 guys here that have won a main event or could win a main event tonight. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was the best place. You know, I did it because I loved it. Sure. But it was also the best place to learn car control. Yeah, absolutely. Because I said, everybody asked me, he says, I, I, even today when they watch me drive, I said, look, I drive with my right foot. That's my steering. That's everything. And I said, in sprint cars, that's all you had. And I said, steering wheels were just hanging on to when the thing flipped over. I said, <laughs> I said, you did everything with the right foot. I said, uh, and any, if you drive a 935, that's the way there. That's why sure. I was so comfortable when I climbed in that. I went from sprint cars to a 935. Right. I didn't do it. I had never been on a road race course ever. So, <laughs> so I went, you figured one out of 935. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you're probably, this thing's slow. Yeah. It, it wasn't slow, but it was nice because I could see there was no mud flying. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And the brakes actually really stopped the thing because yeah. sprint cars don't have brakes. Yeah. So. <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, that's, that's how I got there. I just, uh, sprint cars were... You know, I mean, I, I, super modifies and sportsmen were affordable, and it just led me into sprint cars because that's what everybody did back then. Yeah. Dad, dad was okay when I road raced because it does. It didn't look scary like a sprint car. You go to a sprint car race, and yeah, and even for, today, if yeah. nobody flips over, it's like frightening. You know, like yeah. how do they even keep them on the wheels? Right. Yeah. I mean, it is. The things are crazy fast. Yeah. I mean, I had four concussions in six years and a skull fracture. Nice. You know? yeah. And, you know, I didn't even know the neurosurgeon said, you know, your neck stretches four inches without breaking your neck. Well, that explains it because Bill Simpson said, you broke the helmet on a roll bar. How do you make yeah. transition from dirt cars to a 935? Well, so what happened was Stacy bought a NASCAR team, mm-hmm. and I yeah. went and did two With cash, r- I'm guessing. Yeah, with <laughs> cash, yeah. yeah. Well, he had this company, <laughs> he had this company, Pacific, Pacific Western Energy Corporation. Sure, and yeah, he got, that, sounds, that sounds real, he, sounds real. And he got all these investors to throw tons of money in it. I mean, because he His said- was Henry Zogabe. He, well, he yeah. had a, he had to be a at pat- the top of the pyramid. He had a patent on this thing called the Thin Seam Mining Machine. <laughs> the thing was Jeez. as big as a city block. Okay. It was made in the Netherlands. He, so he, it's real. Some guy here designed it, he got the patent, and the idea was that this thing could go in a mine that was closed in thin seam mine, all the stuff you couldn't get, right? Sure, yeah. So he didn't care if it worked or not. <laughs> yeah. he just the, the whole theory yeah. was, was valuable, right? Yeah. So he goes to the Netherlands, and he tells them, because that's when the shipping thing was going in the tank, right? It's not fraud. It's just a bad investment. And all they yes. knew. Yeah, we learned, well, this. we've learned this. Yeah. And in the Netherlands, they well, were they were losing the shipping business. Yeah. The Japanese were building super tankers, and yeah, yeah. Th- that was their main business, right? Yeah. So he rolls in with a thing as big as a super tanker, sure. but it's a thin sea miner, yeah. and it's 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 what they could build, right? right? So he gets them on board to build it. They give him, Some I don't even know dumb. how much money, yeah. just insane yeah. amounts of money. Yeah. He has them building these things. And he's collecting investors. And, and he said he's going to sell them, right? And then, with, of course, they didn't sell. So Weird. then he goes back to them. And at this time, Neil Bonnet's working for him, and I'm working for him, and yeah. Rodney Combs is working for him. And he's starting to gather up the NASCAR thing. And, <laughs> and, and he comes back to these guys. He says, you know what? We shouldn't sell these thin seam winers. We shouldn't sell any of them. We should lease all these mines, which he had already leased. Uh-huh. We should lease these mines and mine them ourselves. Or the margin. And he would come in with – he had – 
25 people doing financial I stuff. I will never get enough of these kind of stories. In yeah, yeah, this is yeah, my I favorite mean, he, part about our, our yeah. particular sport. Yeah. Neil, yeah. Vaughn, and I and the guy, we'd look, he had these, they come in with a whole entourage of guys with all these books and prospectuses, and, and it was, you were going to make billions. You could have got away with back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you could make billions. <laughs> well, so it was then even he harder can, to fact check then. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, he like, convinced yeah, the Dutch like, government not to sell like, them. It's laminated. And they gave him more money. So with that more money, he started buying NASCAR teams. He bought four in a row. Remember, he was the first. He was a big deal. He was the first guy with multiple teams. Yeah. First guy. And <laughs> and like, you know, and so I drove a couple times and he wanted me to move to the south because he was from Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. And he lived out here, lived in Menlo Park in a big fancy castle. And mm-hmm. and he had a wife that was an actress. And, and I mean, she had <laughs> you're going to have illegal money. Yeah. She, she had rooms this big that were just for coats. And another one yeah. that was just shoes. It was yeah. insane. Yeah. And, and je- he was the first guy to show up with jets, private jets and big motor homes. Yeah. It yeah. was crazy. Yeah. And we were just like, what the hell? Where's all this coming from? So, yeah. so anyway, so that... <laughs> He's like the Scott Tucker of racing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so, yeah he, he was in a way. So anyway, I, I, I was racing for him. He wanted me to go race stock cars. I said, I don't want to race stock cars. I don't want, and then really, back then you had to live in the South. Everybody was in yeah, the South, for right? Sure. Yeah. Not like today. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm not interested. And uh, so he had one of his investors was a guy named Jerry Brassfield. Okay. His son, Darren, Darren raced. used to race Trans Amy and MC. Jerry made yeah. lots of money, you know. Jerry, yeah. was, Jerry was close to a billion dollars back then a long time ago yeah, yeah, he, yeah. A, he had and he was another he had multi-level sales products right <laughs> that's what he was doing MLM. Yeah, yeah. Thir- yeah. yeah 37 <laughs> countries yeah my yeah. ex-girlfriend does that so anyway so <laughs> he you know he had golden products and and neo life and best products and all these things and so jerry made a lot of money yeah, yeah. and well, so he was at the top of it and, yeah. he, and yeah. he lived and he lived right here he lived up the hill and yeah and jerry says what are you going to do and, and and then he was investing and he, he lost i don't know how much he lost in in uh in uh in uh, what's his face's deal it was crazy <laughs> Stacy's deal but mining but he said yeah. what are you gonna do I said I'm not gonna race stock cars and he said what do you want to race I said I want to race a Porsche I want to race a road race car so so he put up I don't because I like Porsches that's well, yeah, at this point, you're already obsessed with the 911. Oh, I'm obsessed so. with the yeah, 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 no, it's, so, inter- yeah. it's just interesting. Cause yeah, and I, and I knew how to drive a 911 pretty sideways all you, the time. You just don't so. hear about sprint car guys going straight to, well, I want a road race now. No. Yeah. yeah but, but, I, but, I, but see, I did that. And I drove everything. I just, I just climbed in it and figured it out. So anyway, so, yeah, you know, we got a 934 and a half. It was what I bought. It was that's the real thing. Yeah, they built yeah. ten of those, and that was a, that was an IMSA only car mm-hmm. is what it was yeah, for. Yeah. And because they didn't let the nine thirty fives in, and George Dyer had bought one for eighty grand, and he raced it four races, and I bought it for twenty five. <laughs> and so I had yeah. I had I had my way in. You yeah. Know? And then we got a new nine thirty five from the factory because we, the first race in the car, and I'd never been on a road course in my life or any of that. First race we got seventh against nine thirty fives. And then so, fourth. So they just give you a license because of all the sprint car stuff you've done? Yeah. 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 Actually, <laughs> like, actually, yeah. actually, I didn't have a license. I had, I had my sprint car license, my USAC license, <laughs> yeah. and I did the two IMSA races. I did Sonoma, and I did Monterey in October. I got fourth in that race. Then we went to Daytona for the 24-hour, yeah. and Rick came with me. We were friends. Rick Mears. Yeah. And Monty Shelton from yep. Oregon. Yeah. And none of us had been there. And we got we were on the podium. Yeah, finished third overall, and and then when we did that, then Porsche said, "Where'd you learn how to drive these things?" And I showed them a sprint car picture. They didn't have any idea what that was. They said, "This this is what I drive. It's it's sideways because they noticed that I was like didn't care about being out of shape and right. stuff." How did you know Rick Mears? From uh, Pike's Peak and from dirt stuff. So you've done Pike's Peak before the sports car stuff. I did Pike's Peak in '80. Okay, so we should probably go back to that. Yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but also like we're like were you running an ascot and stuff with Rick? 
Well, no, I was running up here. He was up here because yeah. he was running dune buggies at Ascot. Yeah, yeah. He didn't yeah. do sprint car stuff. They, yeah, gotcha. they were doing the buggies. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Copy. And okay, so. and, the, and the guy that built their buggies was Newman Drager, who ended up working for me one oh, right. of them yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and building the buggies. So it was that's how we all got so, together. Before, and we used to go to the desert together and do stuff. I, I liked all that too. So so yeah. So we we just glance over this little event called Pikes, Pikes Peak, Peak. That somehow you decided to find yourself into. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we <laughs> built the end. <laughs> yeah, we built a car. Okay. We went there. What kind of car? Uh, it's upstairs, that open wheel unlimited car. It's like car. a buggy-looking yeah. thing with the yeah. Porsche It's a buggy-looking thing, but yeah. it's got a twin-turbo Porsche, Porsche motor in the yeah, back. Yeah, right. Yeah. And the first year we took it up, we took it up in 79, and it didn't have enough power with the six-cylinder motor and stuff, and it was too heavy on the back. So we put a turbo motor on it for 80, went back, set the qualifying record, fastest car there all week. Um, it really, it, we had them covered, but the, part of it, and, and Unzer was furious, Bobby, in fact, and Alan made it worse because I knew Alan Bobby because I was on the Colorado Grand motorcycle ride from the beginning with all those guys, you know, Walker and Parnelli and all of us. The first year, I think there was only 30 of us or something on Wally's ride. And we were all friends. And and then uh, and most of those guys came from dirt racing, almost every one, whether they were driving at Indy now or not, they came out of the dirt, right? So so, <clears throat> so we had we had a blast together. So and then I was building trucks and trailers for Bobby and everybody else too, you know, all that stuff. So, so it, it, we had a long-term relationships, and and we get to Pike's Peak that year. Well, now it's got the turbo engine on the back, and and Al comes over to the trailer at when we were at Tech at the Broadview. Alan's yeah. yeah. He comes over, walks in the trailer, and this was a year that they had Bobby Jr. Al Jr. was in a Wells Coyote. And Robbie was going to do his first race, and I don't think even Robbie was 14 or something. Yeah, they had up. all the Enzers, all yeah, the yeah. kids, right? And um, so, and Bobby was driving at, uh, Bobby's sprint car, and Al was driving the, the Wells car, Al Jr. So Al Sr. walks into my trailer because we knew each other, and he's a nice, he was the nicest guy. And he walks in, and he looks at the car, and he's, what is this? I go, That's a Porsche motor. He didn't know what that stuff was. And he's asking questions, and I didn't mind answering most of the questions he wanted. And we never, he never asked about the steering brake handle because in the car, if you look in it, you can't see it. I had it over here and I had a black handle on it. I wanted it invisible. For rear brake? Yeah. Yeah. Rear brake, left yeah. and right. Yeah. Pull left, push right. Oh, wow. That's interesting. It makes yeah. it go through the corners. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, huh. and that came from the dune buggy air. That's yeah. not me. I mean, you know, that's been around. But, sure. But I could, I could drag the left rear wheel and, or drag the right rear wheel. <laughs> so... Anyway, Al's looking at the car, on a cliff. and Al and I told Al what it weighed. Al goes, "What's this weigh?" And I said, "It weighs a thousand pounds, ready to go." And he just smiled, you know. So he leaves, comes back with Bobby. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Bobby comes he in. Took note. <laughs> Bobby comes in, and he ended up that color red. Yeah. <laughs> but Bobby comes in. What is it? He, now Bobby's got. What is this? What's this for? How's this work? And you know, I didn't answer a third of Bobby's questions, and, and that made it matter because I didn't answer him. Bobby leaves and protests the car. <laughs> That's what he did immediately. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and, and, and oh, Al set him off though. So we're sitting there. <laughs> Al's just sitting on the fender of the trailer in my fifth wheel trailer, my sprint car trailer. He's just sitting in it. And uh, and Bobby's walking all around. He's just intense. He's looking at everything, you know, just crazy. And and Al looks at him. He says, Bobby. I told you somebody would come here someday and kick your ass. <laughs> oh, my God. Bobby marched out of the trailer, you know, like he was on a mission. If he had an AR-15, he'd have shot everybody. Right. <laughs> so he went and protested the car, and then he protested <laughs> us. So on, on what grounds? Like, was there anything out of compliance? No. Or, yeah. No, it was just Bobby. And he intimidated everybody at Pikes Peak. You know, it was, yeah. it was Unser's Mountain. Yeah, he's a big deal. Yeah. It was yeah. Unser's Mountain, yeah. you know. It yeah. really was. I yeah. mean, they should have renamed it, you know. Yeah, but, right. And um, so... He he basically all week said that car shouldn't be here. It's not right. It's not this and stuff. And 
didn't matter. So in qualifying, we set the, the record with the thing. And he was up there with filming my corner speed from entry of corner to exit of corner. He was going nuts over this thing. And then on race day, um, I ended up second. I hit a spectator. Oh, wow. they had they back then they would let them all go up there and party right sure before yeah. the race and up in the dub i mean and you it doesn't take much to drink in, the, in that altitude oh right that's done. a good point yeah and i came out through the in this car the problem with this car the only problem with the turbo car was you couldn't hear it uh you know yeah. oh so yeah, they have so no idea it's so, yeah. and it's just windy enough in some of those places you're yeah. you're hearing that big v8 right mm -hmm. you didn't hear that car yeah and i came around a corner and some guy was walking across the road with a blind i don't know what was wrapped around him but something and he was trying to get from one side to the other and 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 I locked it up and spun and clipped him and ended up in the ditch backwards. Yeah. And it took forever to get it seemed like forever to get it started. I think it took like 10, 15 seconds to get it to refire up out of the ditch, turn around, and go. And I was still second with all that. Well, here's Unser a question. How was the person? Yeah. I broke <laughs> We're both thinking the same thing. Yeah. Like, you glanced over one fact yeah. here. Yeah. So I mean, it took forever. Yeah. To get the car restarted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like to get his pulse back. Right. <laughs> I think it busted his leg or something. Oh, sure. You know. So anyway, <laughs> they lived. So <laughs> it took so, forever to clean hey, him kids, up. Yeah. The guy was okay. Yeah. And the Unzers were, had tried so hard knowing how fast we were going before that happened that they, none of them finished. Oh, none of them. They all right. went off, did this, did yeah, that, right, everything. Right. Tried too hard. Yeah, tried too hard. Yeah. So. He would lose his mind with this story. And, oh, then yeah. the, and then the next year, the car was outlawed. Yeah. Uh, Bo Bobby yeah. convinced the Pikes Peak Hill Climb Association they should use USAC rules. <laughs> well, USAC rules were Indy cars. Yeah. 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 1,500 pounds, yeah. one turbocharger, yeah. uh, 2.6 liter. Yeah. So yeah. the car was done. Right. That car never ran. you were going to start an arms race. And then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then I didn't go back till I went back in 2000 and drove the truck. Yeah. So and that I think is it is the truck here? Not here now. Okay, was it here a couple of years ago? It was here. Like yeah, I saw it in the park it's at the, my trailer company yeah. getting all put back together That's, to run. Yeah, I heard this. You're gonna take it back up the mountain? No. Oh, okay. No, I'm gonna, gonna terrorize everybody around here. Yeah, in Scotts Valley, and I'm driving around Laguna Seca. Okay, it's so a, it road races really well. So so to tell to, to tell the folks listening at home what we're talking about because I've seen it in person and there's photos <clears> of it. And it's badass, but we're literally talking about a big rig semi rig truck so they had a class at pikes peak for semis yeah and and <laughs> because you do mercedes and ford and mac and a bunch of manufacturers were there including kenworth yeah. and kenworth had built a truck and uh, run there a couple times and really nobody was beating mercedes i mean they came with truck experience they came with a truck chassis and again this is a big rig truck big rig truck yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. and mercedes truck was the lightest a narrow dirt road dirt yeah. road yeah. up a mountain and mercedes yeah. had the lightest of these trucks too and they, they really <laughs> they only weighed eighteen thousand pounds yeah i think their truck weighed like 11 you know <laughs> kenworth weighed 15 you know yeah, the first time right. so so anyway that we were doing I, it was in the middle of me doing all this design work because it was you know it was 2000 and i had just done the, the t2000 design for kenworth and and the and the president of kenworth was david hoven and he says bruce he says you raced a pike speak yeah yeah he says you know we're racing and we're not winning and he says uh would you come look at the truck so i said so we went to mount vernon washington that's where their test center is mm -hmm. truck was up there <laughs> And, you know, I looked at the truck, and then I went and drove it on their – they have an old track there, and I drove it on their, their – their, they have a road course that's really a logging road course. It's a dirt <laughs> deal, you know, gravelly dirt thing. And I drove it through there, and, yeah. and he said, what do you think? I said, well, I said, I said I, look, my driving style, I said, I'd want to be able to rotate it around, <laughs> and you can't do that. Not sliding it enough. Yeah. So I said, I'd, I'd move the engine back as far as you can, yeah. and they did. The drive line's that long. Ten mm -hmm. drive line's not a foot long. I said, move the engine back at the weight off the front. I says, I'd beat lock the rear tires, run low air pressure, do this, do that, and the next thing. So I just told him this stuff, and 
Are there like homologation rules? Because all I'm hearing are things yeah. that are not making it a semi as you continue you know, to move it, the CG around. You know, there's rules. You had to use a, a production tire. It just, it, just, <laughs> it, just didn't say, it just didn't say how many plies it had to be. So I told them, make four ply tires, not 14s. Okay. And Bridgestone did that. Uh-huh. And then we bolted them to the rims, and we cut them all up. And, yeah. and, and they started making changes. And once. Well, what, first of all, I went back, and I told them this stuff. And then the guy that was driving it said, you know, he wasn't comfortable, really comfortable driving that thing anyway. And then David said, would you, can we have you drive it? I said, sure. So then we changed the whole truck. We went to some roads up in, I think it was Utah. We found some roads similar to Pikes Peak out in the middle of nowhere. And, and I just practiced, I mean, flying in the corner, pick up the throttle, rotate it around, pick up the throttle and go. And it was 12,800 pounds yeah. doing this. What's the reinforcement when you roll? It had a roll cage, but it, it, you'd, you'd have been wiped out. Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. You'd smash. Yeah. yeah. By the weight of the truck. 12,000 yeah. pound truck. Is yeah. That's yeah. what I'm, yeah. yeah. What okay. kind of horsepower is that thing making? So it was a, it was a, um, uh, 18 liter motor. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and twin turbo Caterpillar. Just and it had a ZF gearbox, sequential shift gearbox. Yeah. In fact, it's sea level at Mount Vernon. It did like a 12 and a half second quarter mile. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It was serious. <laughs> so that much weight. It was, yeah. and it was yeah, violent. Crazy you know. to see. Yeah. But anyway, it, mile stopping it, yeah, um, exactly. you know, it was like 1900 horsepower. Yeah. But yes. it had like 4,000 foot pounds of torque at 1700 so RPMs. Awesome. So the first year there, we took over a minute off the record. <laughs> yeah. Right out of the box. What year was this? 2000. Okay. Yeah. Then we took another 30 seconds. Yeah. And then to this day, they never got that record back, even on pavement. Yeah. And some guys tried and crashed pretty heavily on the pavement. So. Yeah. But it was, and, and I, I don't care about the pavement going up that hill. I mean, sure. the, the dirt was, yeah. it was a blast. Different event. Yeah. So, and if you hit a spectator, you wouldn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. Even know. It would be worse than a you know, leg. It, it, was, it was scary in the truck because people are in. The outside of the corners when you come flying in and rotate yeah. this truck, mm-hmm. standing there, yeah, like they're never going to get out of the way, right? Yeah. On this thing that if yeah. it touches them, they're yeah, they're, they're done, they're vaporized, yeah, yeah. yeah, and you can't do anything in that thing, oh. yeah. And, and anyway, I imagine awesome. it's probably the most exciting thing. Yeah, it's the one you want to watch truck. Most. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god, oh, they, they love it forever. <laughs> they did. They love the trucks. <laughs> so I'm hearing a you know like a, 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 a guy running sort of a rail car at at, at Pikes Peak, sprint car driver, driving for. One of the greatest NASCAR team owners in history. <laughs> yeah, I'm not hearing a, one of the most famous ones. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not hearing a Lamar driver. I didn't. So go I, I just don't get how this. Just, you just show like a sports up. Sports car guy, you mean? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was a Porsche, right? You know, and and those race Porsches started out as street cars. So to me, it was just a street Porsche right. on steroids. You so know? you do a handful of sports car races. You run with Bobby. Yeah, Hall, yeah. you run with Rick Mears, Jim Piero Moretti. Yeah, yeah, some pretty cool yeah. stuff. Yeah, I got and, and and I was doing it for fun, you know. Yeah. And, and um, um, like Bobby, I got to drive. I was the first GTP car. Yeah, and I was supposed to drive a 935 with with uh, Redmond, yeah. and then the driver in that car didn't drive it, and they said they put me in it. And Bobby, I mean that, and Jim Truman was the other driver, yeah. and you know it was it was this was before they had the bus stop at Daytona. Yeah, right. This is the when reason really they hauled. put the bus stop. Yeah, right. And they said we were going like. 230 through the banking that thing was a rocket ship. yes that was 82 82 so that was the march march uh, 82 g yeah first chassis yeah you guys qualified on pole yeah at a 143.8 yeah now that's without the, that's yeah. without the chicane uh the year prior at daytona in the 935 i think you guys again without the chicane you did like a two minute yeah you know that's how much faster those prototypes were. Wow. Yeah. that's 17 so, seconds so yeah. Yeah. we, we were lapping the 935s about every hour and a half yeah yeah, yeah. and it was crazy because i'm driving and he says that's Holbert i just blew by yeah. that's him i just blew by you know what yeah. the heck are they doing you know yeah. Yeah, yeah and the car was so drivable yeah so drivable it was crazy even on the infield it was just 
completely different way to drive a car. Yeah. Uh, I was told because of the way the 962 was built that um, you once raised a concern about the safety nature of the 962 and that uh, you were you were told that um, Porsche had plenty oh, of no. options. Okay, it tell, was, me, tell me this it story. Was, we were at, at the factory. Yeah. And it was before a race. So you're in Bicock. Yes. Yeah. And it was uh, in Frau Bear kind of oversaw every i mean she had a counter and behind the counter there's fax machines everywhere and she was doing all the parts orders and she was telling everybody what to do and she was telling drivers where they needed to be so i was supposed to go to swineford germany to fickle and sax because they were sponsoring the car okay and um that's for 962 yeah no 935 935 935 and so when we were there there was you know gary evans was there brian redmond i think was there one of the Whittingtons was there. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been 78. Anyway, there was a bunch of guys there, like half a dozen drivers, and they were all getting instructions where they had to go, and she was the only one that could actually manage drivers and get them to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, and and it was Bill Whittington. I remember it was Bill, because he was a smartass anyway. He was funny. And he said something like, uh, Frau Barry says, when, when is Porsche going to put, you know, safe roll cages in these 935s? I mean, you know, there's steel and chrome molly and all these good materials and the roll cages are aluminum. And she looked up at everybody and she goes, we have plenty of drivers. <laughs> and she wasn't being funny. Yeah, yeah. right. right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I looked at Gary and said, I don't see anybody getting out of line here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Message delivered. Yeah. 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 Message delivered. That's cool. But, you know, that wasn't an issue back then. Yeah, that was a culture. And yeah. if you look, look at a 917, I tell guys, look at a 917. We've, we've restored six of them here. And the, and the only one that was heavy by standard was a 917.30 that Penske had because it had polished aluminum panels to cover the fuel cells that he wanted put in and stuff. So that whole frame weighed 120 pounds. Oh. The rest of them weighed 98 pounds yeah. average. A hey, 917 that's, that's frame. A 917 frame the weighed 90 frame, pounds. That's all they weigh. Yeah, because they're, they're like alu- spider They're, they're like aluminum spider tubing. Yeah. It's the equivalent of, it's metric, but it's the equivalent of 90 wall aluminum tubing. You can put one on the bench and tie it down on one end and go to the back end and do this. Yeah, yeah I feel yep. like if you look at it, it'll bend. Yeah, you have to run yeah. real lightweight yeah. springs. And yeah. when guys see me sit in it, you know, they because your feet are in the front of the car. Yeah, right. And they say, aren't you worried about that? I go, that's the least of your problems. Because if I hit something, that engine's coming straight through the car and taking you out anyway. Yeah. You know, it's right behind you, that big 12-cylinder motor. Yeah. But the cars are unbelievable to drive and if you think about it, there was only one fatality ever in a 917 that john wolf and he should have never been in a car yeah because he was like a gentleman guy right yeah crashed should, the should, should have never been in a car yeah. yeah everybody else i mean they 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 do everything perfect i mean turn in rotate and i and i like loose so i drive the thing you know hung out and it's just fabulous car to drive yep. well speaking of 935s in the whittingtons we may as well ask this um so i heard that and I, this is documented, I believe, on the internet. That um, so we did a podcast with Don Whittington, yeah. oh, did in 2017. You? Do you know what he's doing, by the way, these days? I know he was on motorcycles, playing with motorcycles. And sure, stuff. but do you know what his business is? No, what's he doing now? Running a private air uh, airport. Yeah, yeah, running a private airport in Fort Lauderdale. Well, he did that before, though, didn't he? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so you had a Whittington 935. We did, and uh, I heard that it was. Um, Repossessed at Laguna Seca. Yeah, it was ago. confiscated. Yeah, yeah, different term. Not How repossessed. Confiscated. Yeah. How did this go? He had made the payments. He, 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 well, it was it was hilarious because 
We, 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 so we're, you're at the historics, basically. We, and actually, we were at a private event in okay. January, Copy. and there was probably a couple hundred, 250 people there and was 25 like guys. Six years ago, seven years ago? Yeah, I forget when it was yeah. now. But we, we had – Bruce ended up with a car, Bruce, Bruce Meyer. Meyer. Yeah. And then we restored it ground up, um, put it all back exactly the way it was at Le Mans, which was great because it wasn't far off. But we, we did everything to it, and I mean everything. It was turnkey, track-ready you could do 24-hour Le Mans with it. That's how we restored it. This is the 1979 overall winner. This is the overall winner. Yeah, Le Mans. Yeah. And then we got it done, and it went to Amelia Island, and it won a class there. And then it went to Pebble Beach, and it won a class there. And then in the fall, right around Thanksgiving of that year, the the Winningtons were back in the news. And the news was that, that they, you know, the, the DEA and all whatever rated everything in Fort Lauderdale at World Jet. And, and I was getting all the information from Preston Hinn because we were friends. So Preston Hinn goes, hey, your buddies are in, in trouble again. I go, what are you talking about? And he's sending me videos of the uh, from the news stations and newspaper articles. And I go, oh, my God. And then at the same time, Albert Arciero's seeing the same stuff because he had IndyCar teams, right? And yeah. those guys were involved in that. So Albert and I are talking about this is crazy, right? And then we just kind of decided had to do something. Uh, to Bruce because on the news it was saying they were out confiscating Whittington assets. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 Bill was in Scottsdale. Yeah. And there was assets in Scottsdale and there was stuff in Durango, Colorado, and it wasn't just Florida. So we said, Oh, this is perfect. So I hired <laughs> I hired a You know, like friends do. I hired actors well, I went to hire act. First of all, I, there was a movie producer that I had met through a lady named Annie Walker, and the guy loved cars and had been here and everything. And and so I said, Annie, can he help us? And so she hooked me up with him, and and Annie was helping too. And is it somebody we know? No, okay. I, it is, but I can't remember the name. But okay. yeah, anyway, no no so so he helped us, and then I says, you know what? And he said, well, these guys here. He says these guys here. One of these guys was a special forces guy, and one was one was an you know an attorney became an FBI guy, and the other was something else. They were all from military police kind of backgrounds, and he says they have a company that in the movie industry provides the guns and all the stuff for the movies, right? And the right everything, and they're yeah. bonded and all this stuff. You could just hire them. They can do it. They've done bit to parts. Do, to do what, Bruce Campa? <laughs> <laughs> so we we actually rehearsed this. But but basically, Christ. the plan was... This is they, a friend, by the way, Bruce Meyer. Yeah, yeah. 40 yeah. years. 40 yeah. Year friend, yeah. Yeah. Can I just ask what this what this joke <laughs> costs, roughly? It didn't cost that much. Well, okay. r- roughly. I well, don't know what it costs. Let, let's finish the story, and then we'll get to the totals here. So, yeah, yeah. so basically, we had this event. And then, and in and, and the difficulties in this event, we had to, we said, we can't rent a Denali or an Escalade, and that's all you rent anymore. We found a new black suburban in Bakersfield or Merced or to somewhere. Sort of pose as a government car? Yeah. Okay. And then, we, and then a four door Dodge with small hubcaps in gray. We went everywhere to find just the right two cars. These guys showed I like up. how this is the detail that you yeah. are looking for yeah. to be a believable. Exactly. Yeah. Well, then I camp t- away. And yeah. I, well, I told him, I says, look, this is not like Ashton Kutcher putting a prank on his buddies. This says they're, they're a bunch of Nimrods. They're, yeah. you know, the difference. I said, these guys, these guys will know the difference, right? Yeah. They'll, they'll figure out it's a prank yeah. immediately. Right. Yeah. Right. And right. I said, and there'll be people Bruce there. Meyer is no Jack Osborne. Wait, well, there'll be people there with their security people, with there, this, that. Well, that's it, yeah. But, uh, it, yeah. Pretty high end profile. Right. Well, because the second the DEA shows up, yeah. it's people are going to start calling lawyers. Yeah. Who are then going to probably actually call the DEAs and be like, I don't right. know what the hell you're So, anyway, so. They, they drove in to Laguna Seca. <laughs> okay. Bruce Meyer. Two or your no, DEA people. The DEA. We were all there already right. playing so with the race So, basically, you hired, a, you hired an actual movie producer yeah. to stage a fictitious DEA raid. Exactly. At, at a track day. At a race Private track, track day. Yeah. To raid. 
one of the most famous Porsche race cars of all time. Exactly. <laughs> okay. That's exactly right. <laughs> yes. He's so, so anyway. Proud of himself. Yeah. So, so they roll in and go to the car, ask for Bruce Meyer, pull out, pull out. They, they had they, the, the Glocks were real Glocks. The badges were real badges. You know, they, they had a warrant from a real federal judge. You know, Wait, what? A warrant. <laughs> How did they get that? I don't know how they he got it. He knows people. He's got a bankroll. He's got a bankroll. And they to confiscate the car. Yeah. And um, and and Bruce was like, you know, just at first he thought, you know, well they're just being nice guys, and then he realized, no, they're not being nice guys. And then they told him they're going to take the car, and and they're going to have to take it to this warehouse in Fresno or somewhere, and he'll have to get his attorney <laughs> and get a court hearing and prove he owns the car. And right. Probably right. within a couple of months he'll get it back. <laughs> <laughs> so and we had a tow truck show up, flatbed tow truck. <laughs> With 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 a guy that and, and we didn't stage the tow truck. We we talked about whether we should tell him what's going on. We decided no. Yeah. So we 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 called a tow company. I said the tow company in Monterey with the dirtiest greasiest trucks is this company. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. And they showed up with a, yeah. a slide back carrier, yep, yep. all dirty, greasy, all yeah. black. And the guy climbs out and he looked like a car thief. Yeah. Oh my yes. god. Yes. He was perfect. You yeah, couldn't yeah, have done yeah. better. All right. And he, and he didn't even know how to load this thing. He's got J hooks, right? Like. Oh you know, god. So yeah. So we we asked. I asked the the officers if I could load the car and bring my crew in to do that and yeah. we did this whole thing it went on for hours <laughs> and 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 then they then I'm they, assuming Bruce Meyer's a nice guy he's a really nice yeah, guy yeah right I course. met him once and, and he was lovely but yeah <laughs> he doesn't and, deserve this yeah so then they slowly drove out and I told him go out go down to highway 68 park in the parking lot for 20 minutes and then come back yeah so as they roll and this went on and on there was a bunch more to it but it, basically <laughs> after they leave he goes should I, he says, "Should I call the CHP commander?" And and they had because already, that's what you have at this kind of event is actually connected people. Yeah, well, right. Yeah, and he Bruce knows people. Yeah, yeah. Bruce yeah. was president of the 1199 Foundation, course, and yeah, the, yeah. and the commander's a friend of his. <laughs> and 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 he, he had already said that once before to to the to the main guy, the guy that looked like. The, I assume he dropped that immediately. Yeah, hey, yeah. Man, well, that guy. Not immediately, but he said, "You know, I'm friends with the commander of the CHP. I'm the president." 1199, and he didn't do it in a, in, a, in a more in like a hey, I wouldn't have this legally. Yeah, really yeah, nice right. way. Yeah. I'm not a criminal. And, kind yeah, of thing. And, exactly. the, and the guy looked. Adam, he says, Mr. Meyer, he says, you're welcome to call your your friend at the CHP. You're welcome to call your attorney. But he says, just so you know, agent. he said, this is a federal matter and they have no jurisdiction. <laughs> are these like improv actors? <laughs> yes. But these are guys that did all that this. That did all yeah, this. Right. So they know yeah. how to play. They're not improv actors. Yeah. Oh, so they, but they know how to, yeah. yeah, yeah. They've because they've actually through been through this, this conversation. Yeah, this this is what say. they did in their life, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's what they told him. Then he was like, he was paralyzed. He didn't know what to do. Sure. Then, then after they start driving away and he sees his car leaving on oh, this flatbed carrier, God. he says, should I call him? I said, yeah, call him. So he calls the guy up. The commander was actually irritated that he hadn't called them when they first got there. Right. Okay. Where so are they? know about this. No. Where are they going? What are they doing? Bruce, I mean, what? I said, it's a black because I knew it wasn't going on the highway. <laughs> right, right. It's a black tow truck. It's a flatbed. And, he, and I said, look, they can only go two ways. Either got to go one to right. Monterey and get on one, yeah. or they got to go 68 right. to Salinas. Salinas. Yeah, yeah. And they said they're heading to Bakersfield or Fresno, you know. <laughs> so this guy's calling out all the high patrol guys to yeah. go stop those guys and talk to them yeah. right. and make sure everything's Meanwhile, okay. He's like hidden in turn five. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just parked around the corner. Yeah, yeah. parked around the corner. <laughs> and that was the first time I thought, you know, I could be in some over this deal now. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have the he called a real CHP guy. rounded yeah, up. Yeah. Chasing down this yeah. break. Impersonating an officer is kind of a crime. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. Redirecting so 20 minutes resources. later, the truck's starting to come back. Bruce is still on the phone with the commander. And, and he's still on the phone. And they're, just, they're just like 
I like how at this point you're like, no, I'm, Keep not, it going. I'm not backing Keep it going. down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to see where this goes. <laughs> they're coming back. I want to see And Bruce goes, wait yes. a minute, they're coming back. They must have forgot something. So, And I had told those guys when they left to go really slow. Oh, yeah. So he had to painfully yeah. watch this and come back really slow. <laughs> yeah. So they come back and they're driving in. And, of course, then we all cracked up. You know, we just couldn't hold it anymore. <laughs> So to Ryan's question, are we talking more or uh, over or under six figures? Oh, under six figures. Of a prank. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But high into the fives. Uh, no. No, no. It was yeah. way less than that. We know oh. daily rates. We, we had a whole, we bunch, know, of, we know we had a whole bunch of people that wanted to be part of this. Okay. Well, so let me tell you my real fear if I was you. <laughs> Ryan. Yeah. If I prank you, yeah. what's going to happen oh, to me? It's coming right back. Right. Yeah. Is it going to come back bigger? Yeah, oh, absolutely bigger. Right. So yeah, now yeah. what's your concern? Yeah, it's going to come back even bigger. This yes. is mutually assured destruction. Yeah, it's yeah. only going to go. This is going to get worse until one of us dies. Exactly. Or goes to jail. Yeah, or we lose a pet. Well, but I figure Bruce has been planning this. But, you know, he's, he's getting a little older and he's failing. No, so, but you've got you know, to come. And now he, we know he, about he, it. He's forgot half of it already. <laughs> right. But if like, so, side. like, if we, because now yeah. you don't necessarily know our reputation, but, like, if we become friends with Bruce Meyer, yeah. you, you, should be, you should be scared of this. Right. I should, huh? Yeah, yeah, I should be a little worried. Do, do yeah. I look scared? No. 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 Yeah. That's on you, though. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, so, it was uh, it yeah. was as much fun as we could have. And again, just to reiterate, this is the 1979 overall Le Mans winning Porsche 935. There's a great podcast talking about that very Le Mans win. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's that car worth? Oh God, staggering amount of money. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you're like, yeah, put it on this crappy, dirty, yeah, tow dirty tow truck yeah. that I hope you like. with J hooks, which yeah. is <laughs> like the most generic thing. It's not at all. It's not a ratchet strap yeah, with yeah, proper yeah. axle straps. We, we did. We did add those. You guys like, added them. Yeah, in. we added yeah. those. Yeah. But guy, can you imagine the guy showing up and he's like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll take it." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good God. Okay. No, that, that was uh, you know. Thanks to the Whittingtons, it gave us an opportunity to do the prank of a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I told Bill later, he said, if you didn't do all that oh, shit, we couldn't do this. Said, we didn't do that shit. He said, that's not real. We didn't do any of that. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what he told that's, us, that's too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, And then we had dinner with Randy Lanier that night, and he's like, yeah, Yo. I bought Road Atlanta from them. Yeah. <laughs> Why? To launder money. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks, Randy. So your racing career, at least on the sports car side, it, it kind of like comes to, at least publicly from what I could find, like mid-'80s. I don't see any more stuff. Yeah, late 80s. I drove 962s at the end. And, yeah. And then, you know, my business was growing. You're right. That's what it, I figured. And really, in early 80s, I had a chance to do some other things. Well, J.D. wanted me to race full-time. And, and <laughs> the mining business was booming. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, booming. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really booming. Yeah. I'll tell you one story about that that was funny. Yes. So Neil Bond and I went with J.D. to go to one of the mines. And... <laughs> The, the people were the people were coming from the Netherlands to see what was going on because all it was was money coming from the Netherlands and nothing going back. <laughs> Weird. So we go with him and we're in a helicopter, <laughs> and we see these those big earth mover dump truck things, those monsters. Yeah. They're hauling the coal up to the mountain. <laughs> they're hauling it up to the mountain. <laughs> that seems to not be how that's supposed to work. So they're up there. Don't look at that. Don't look there, at that. They're up there staging, right? They're up there staging this whole thing. Yeah. So that when the, the when they came from the, the Netherlands come. to look at this, yeah. all this stuff's there, and it's going to be hauled out in these trucks, yeah. right? And that's what they were doing. They, yeah. It was a complete dog and pony show. And, and those guys came over, and they, when they came over, there was all this concern that they were going to be all pissed off and, you know, no more money and this and that. Next thing you know, they see all these trucks going down the mountain and didn't see Miner going and all this stuff and everything. And, and, and then they show up in the next race, and they're all wearing J.D. Stacy cowboy hats, and they all got cigars, and they all got boots, everything. He, he owned them all. Yeah. And it there's a, there's a rumor you, you don't use a briefcase, you use a milk crate. It's not a milk crate. <laughs> 
It's a plastic box. Okay. Okay. Well, I got too much to put in a briefcase. Uh huh. Uh huh. I take home a pile and I bring back a pile and it's done. So we have these things called computers now. They're amazing. I know, but everybody, anybody, like can, you're, anybody you're, can do that. You're sheepish about it. You're like, uh, it's not a milk crate. Yeah. And anybody can do a computer. Everybody does a computer. Sure. All right. So I want to talk some customer stuff and I want to talk some, some uh, historic stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right. So just generic customer stuff. Um, okay. We talked about you'll turn me away if I say I've only got this much money and it's not what you think it's worth. Um, or if I say this is the timeline. Let's say I've got the money and I'm okay with the timeline, but I'm clearly an idiot. Are you going to sell to me? Um, and when I say I, idiot, I don't, I, don't I don't mean I don't mean like I don't know what I'm doing because that's that's an acceptable amount of naivety. Right. I'm saying I'm actually an idiot by telling you how smart I am. Well, we get that anyway. Right. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I assume that's rampant in this business. <laughs> and so my point is like, at what point? Because there's a there's a spectrum of know-it-all. Right. And there is a point where like, oh, f- you're not going to be worth whatever you give me. No. And, and look, when I started my business, you didn't have options to say no. Right. Sure. You did whatever you had to do yep. to survive. Yep. And I said for a lot of years, it paid bills and, and put food on the table and not much more than that. Sure. But it was my passion, so I didn't really care. Yeah. You know I mean, um, but now I have the luxury when somebody comes with something they want to do that makes no sense or we're the wrong person to do it to say no. Right. And, and I've had plenty of people bring me a car and say, I want to restore this car. I want to do this. And I say, no. It's, you're, and, le- and yes, you're doing this out of pure passion. You're just throwing away the money. And, and in a lot of cases, you bought the wrong car. If you're going to do this, we need to go find this donor that's not rusted, not been wrecked, not been abused. We start with a good donor, not a bad donor. And I mean, I even had a guy bring me a 959 that had been crashed to make it into one of our SCs, and I said no. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he, and he was going to spend, I mean, he spent a fortune redoing it, but I said no. So, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I, I value things, you know, both from the quality of the thing, but also the, the financial investment in it. And I don't want to see a customer because somebody's going to tell him that guy screwed you. You should never put that money in that car. Right. It's not going to be him. It's going to be somebody else. And, and there's enough expertise in the world. It's not going to be one person tell him. It's going to be a whole bunch of them that tell him. So for me, it's like, look, if I know better, I'm not, I'm just going to tell him no. And we've, we've turned plenty of stuff away and we're in a position now there's 60 projects active in this shop, mm-hmm. 60. And, and that's my that limit. low, honestly. I, I, well, but that's, that's yeah. what I cap it at, yeah. you know. And so we get stuff all the time. Would you build this for me? No. Would you build this? No. We're the wrong guys to do it. You should go here. You shouldn't do that. You should do this. I mean, we – I just tell them all the time. So. Actually, the power of no is really – Oh, yeah. 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 So. Um, a three-year process on a seven-figure project leaves a lot of ways for somebody to get disappointed. Um, is there a process to, cause there's always like, I, I think about my own business, which is wildly different, but also still in the sort of subjective creative decision, whether something is the right way to go or not. Um, there's always a balance between giving somebody too much information on how things are going versus not enough so that they get the result and all of a sudden they're not happy. Well, you have to, you have to weigh that with each customer. Yeah. There's not so a, it really is a, there's case not a set guideline. Some people, so. you, you don't want to tell them stuff. They don't, you don't want them to see stuff and other people that need more information and, yeah. and, and, uh, you know, some people want to be very actively involved in what's going on. Some, some don't. So. Do you have people that are in the blank and all of a sudden they get it three years later and they're unhappy? Very little. Really? Yeah. I mean, usually we've been for, of course, if you do the product right and it's not by accident, then yeah. You, you don't see much of that problem. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we've got people that, that got into it and decided, you know, I, I'm not. In, but 
most of them I've told them up front, you need to have this much time. I said, everything automotive is a long-term investment yeah. anyway. It's not a short-term, it's not the stock market. Right. And I said, don't buy it if you're just buying it to flip it. I said, buy the car, buy a car because you love it, buy a car because you want to use it, and, and whatever else. And, and I said, if you buy the right car, it'll take care of itself. It'll be a good long-term investment. So I try to guide people in that regard. Other people don't do that or just selling because they say, you just lost a deal. You could have sold that guy that car and right. you told him not to buy that car. So. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, um, but I don't need to do that, yeah. you know. And I never did that because I, would, I didn't want to sell somebody a car that I wouldn't buy for myself mm -hmm. under his conditions. If I say, knowing what he wants, that's not what I would want to buy. Right, so right. I tell him why he shouldn't buy it. All right. So Monterey Historics happen every August, and you're sort of the honorary mayor, as far as I understand, <laughs> of, the, of the historics. Um, on a generic level, like if, so we have a spectrum of listeners, you know, people that like right. dirt racing and stock cars and road racers. What makes the historic such a special event out here? Well, it's, it's a couple of things. Um, it's car week. Number well, one, Monterey car week. I mean, it's, yeah. there's, there's not more energy for cars in the world than there is in that week there. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's Laguna Seca. Yeah. And I said, you know, I've been to a lot of tracks around the country, drove on a lot of tracks at different times. You know, you come back to Laguna and the elevation changes, the, the challenges in the corners, everything there is as good as anywhere, you know, and better than most, okay? And look, it's always been in the top five if there's a vote of five best tracks in the world or the top ten if there's a vote of ten. And it's the history, it's the location. And, and you know, I, I tell people, I said, this is, this is like the best beachfront property in Malibu or the best property in Pebble Beach or the best property wherever with a racetrack on it. I mean, moderate temperatures almost year-round, you know, Monterey, you know, it's lots of things to say around. Where is there a nicer place in the world to go yeah. and have a racetrack? Yeah. Most racetracks are put in somewhere where you don't want to go. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. you know, it, it's all of that. And I'm just fortunate that I was born close to it. And, yeah. and I put a lot of time in it over the years working with it and stuff and, and more now I'm, I'm involved in Rensport with Porsche and, yep. and yes, the historics, I'm heavily involved in the historics and, yep. and, uh, you know, and a bunch of other things are going on, so we'll see. So, so the historics, Rensport, again, very much your domain. You are a man with an eye with detail, and you 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 know the look of what you're looking for. Cheater vintage cars. I'm heard. I've heard that you are the, you are the sheriff. I'm well, cheater vintage. What is so a cheater vintage car? Well, you know, th this is we we have a selection committee, okay. and it's and it's an incredible group of guys. I, I put it together, but it's 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 Bill Warner's on it, Chris McAllister, Patrick Long. Yeah. Um, Andy Prill in England, Scott George from Revs. So we have an incredible group of guys that are part of our selection committee. And, you know, we're all looking like, you know, we're looking at all these other facilities around the world, whether it's Goodwood or whether it's, you know, Le Mans Classic or whatever, and, and then all the other races in the United States with historic cars. And it's kind of, you know, bring what you got, build what you want. Yeah. Um, you know, I was at Goodwood for the members meeting and Dario was driving a GT40. And um, he said, Bruce, he said, there's two GT40s in this group that are real. There were seven GT40s in the race. Yeah, right, you know? right. And um, so anyway, so we, we took a different position because I said, learn to drive the car the way it is and the way it was. And I said, you know, it's all relative, right? So learn to drive what you got. And so we basically decided, look, let's, let's go against the grain in historic racing in the world because what's happening now is the guys with really valuable cars are leaving them home. Yeah. You know, they're not going to bring a Ferrari GTO and race it against this modified, hot-rodded, right. never-existed something, right? Right. And 
and and so that's what's happened. And I said, look, I said, and, and for me, I said, I don't want to drive a 917 as fragile as they are. First of all, I don't want to get hurt anymore. I mean, <laughs> been through that when you're younger. <laughs> and I said, and this is not a car to get hurt in. It'll be worse than hurt. Yeah. And I said, and it's valuable. I don't, any, anything you do today and damage a car is not good history for the car. I mean, the good history is in the past. So, so I don't want to ra- be out there racing the wheels off it to keep up with this guy with his fake or continuation Lola T70, right? right, right. That's worth 200 grand and this car's worth $20, $20 million, million. Yeah. let's say. So, so we made a, a decision amongst ourselves two years ago that we were going to pull it back to where it's original, legitimate, as raced cars. No compromises. Yes, if you can't, if it's a safer seat, we're fine with that. If there's better belts, <laughs> well, that's nice. it's fine with that. <laughs> if it has a roll bar and didn't in the future, in yeah. the past, that's fine with that. Fuel cells. And fuel cells. But yeah. but other than the safety items. Well, you will wear an open face helmet. Yeah, yeah. And, and cotton underwear. Yeah, yeah. but other than, other than safety items, it's got to be like it was. Yeah. yeah. Right down to livery. Everything because and, and we haven't gotten into this trend where people have been souping their cars up to be more oh. competitive at a historic. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and we had a guy show up, and, uh, and 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 we really are monitoring this. We have the you know our, our sanctioning body is HSR, and we basically, you know, there was, and and we've got stewards for each group. We assigned a steward for each group. We try to find a guy that really knows those cars, whether to, it be can to look into the legitimacy yeah. of this, this car. So terror. one guy had taken a late model Trans Am chassis and put a '70 Camaro body on it. Awesome. You know, and <laughs> and, and, and and David came over to be hinted and he says, how do you want to handle this? And he said, so he said, here's the two stewards and here's pictures of what the car's supposed to be. Here's what it is. Da, da, da. I said, okay. I says, don't go to the owner because he's going to lie to you. So don't go to the owner. Go to the guy that prepped the car because he's got 10 cars that he preps that are here. And I said, he's going to be the embarrassed guy. So go over to him and look him in the eye and say, you better tell me why that car's, you think it's legal because I said, otherwise it's going to embarrass you more than the owner. So he admitted, he said, oh, yeah, well, we didn't have a chassis, and it's all we could find. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, know, okay. you went from a 70 to an 86 chassis, and, yeah. uh, and, and you know, so da-da-da. Then he comes to me afterward, the, the guy that was taking care of the car. He says, Bruce, you know, my car's totally legal. I said, you know, you understand now that you're under the microscope, yeah, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I said, why would I believe your car's totally legal when you took a customer's car and made it into what it was? Yeah. No, come look at my car. It's fine, you know? So, yeah. so and everybody... Everybody was fine with it. The owner was fine with it. But, you know, you, that's the way we're doing it. What about inaccurate livery? No. We, I've we, heard this is a huge trigger for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cars need to be as they raced. In terms of livery. Livery. Like, yeah, yeah. In the day. So if, if your car, if, let's say we have a class that's uh, 72 to 81, 82, non-ground effects cars. You know, so it could be a 72 911 ST and it could be a 935, right, in the group. RSRs in between, BMW, M cars, whatever. They need to be exactly they were in the day and when they raced period, every part of it. Now, if you got a car that had a bad guy, as we j- I just had this conversation today. If you got a car that had a bad guy as an owner that went to prison or this or that, okay, leave his name off the car. No. No. No, that's the one you <laughs> that, put yeah, on, That sir. rule yeah, but, needs to be changed. Yeah. So, but some guys, you know, just from business standpoint and stuff. Yeah. But, they don't want Bin Laden air on yeah, the Williams. But, <laughs> but other than that, the cars, the cars, and we just went through this with Rensport because you got cars, guys have bought a later GT car and then re-livered it the way they like it. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. And we said, no, you got to put it. It, here's, it was five different liveries, let's say, in 10 years, but it's yeah. got to be one of these. Yeah. And it needs to be in its configuration everywhere else for whatever livery you pick. So if you 
But anyway, that's that's part of it. I mean, because people walk up and that's the history, right? You see this car and you say, that's the way it raced in yeah. 1950 or 60 or 70 or 80, whatever it was. And uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're, you know, you can't show up with a, a red McLaren, I mean, an orange McLaren Can-Am car if it was never an orange team car. Mm. It needs to be what it was. If it right. was, And we had that. We had a guy with an orange McLaren. We said that car was something Motorhomes was the sponsor and the car right. was white. Put it back to that. How much? How much do you hate fake golf color liveries? Then, well, where, where do you see them? Though we don't see them. No, um, but like it's like the most see, common. Yeah. All these street cars and stuff. Oh, or, see, or, yeah. I see them in HSR races. You'll oh, see yeah, like the Golf 911. You know. Oh yeah, whatever, well, that's, that's a not, different. Yeah, I don't go to those races. So yeah, you know, it's um, um, you know, and, and in that stuff, honestly, I don't care. They can, you know, that's a, that's a form of flattery, right? They sure. they like golf. I mean, everybody likes golf colors, right? They're they're cool looking. So. So it doesn't bother me that. But if, if, if you're coming to Monterey, this is where you see original, yeah. period correct, livery correct, mm-hmm. and driven by guys that should be in them. Because we, we look at the car and we look at the entrant. And if the entrant, you know, is we've, we've banned a few people. Mm-hmm. And we've had to. Because we said, look, these, first of all, a for, lot of these. For trailing away from the heritage? No, no. For okay. driving style, driving tactics. For being too aggressive or just being terrible? Being terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Too aggressive. Look, too aggressive. We tell you guys, look, this, this is a gentleman's sport. Look, I race a 935 around there as fast as it goes. I mean, and if you look back, it's, it's as fast as they go. I'm still able to pretty much pedal it about the same. But I said, you know, if you start driving over your head and doing stupid things, you're out. And there is no touching in our, in our yeah, deal, sure. okay? And I said... It's, it's your responsibility to make a clean pass. It's not his responsibility if he moves over and you're there. I said, you have to have a place on the track to make a clean pass. And I said, if, if he collects you and you're anywhere behind him, you're, you're at fault and you'll be out. Are you familiar with Justin Marks and the track house team? Yes. Relatively new to the, to yeah. the whole scene? Oh, yeah. All right, so he's got this Project 91 car. And that is uh, a car that runs on road races with sort of imported drivers to Makes some high-profile stuff, so like Kimi Räikkönen recently. Yeah, I saw that. Um, we are big fans of Porsche driver Nick Tandy. Oh, yeah. Whose lifelong dream was to drive NASCAR. Right. If uh, Justin Marks, who's a big fan of our show, was listening, why would you tell Justin that Nick Tandy should drive that Project 91 car? Well, he's, um, first of all, he's got a tremendous amount of experience driving everything. Yeah. He's got a lot of seat time in a lot of cars. And road race drivers, I mean, that's their specialty, right? So if you put him in a road course, it doesn't matter what he's in. He's going to drive the wheels off it, yeah. and um, and he can also party like an NASCAR driver. Yeah, and, and and he'll and he'll he'll adjust to the car quickly. It won't take him long to figure out what the NASCAR car is to drive. He'll he'll figure it out quicker on a road course than they would on something else, sure. you know. So, um, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of a no-brainer. You know? So we'd normally um, have every guest from our uh, our last guest ask the question of our next one. Right. We don't know who our next guest is going to be. Right. Uh, at this point here in uh, May. Yeah. May. But um, if you're going to ask a generic question of now that you know kind of the format of our show and right. it's not always drivers, sometimes it's it's media folks, commentators. Yeah. If you're going to ask a generic question of anybody that's next on our show, what question would you ask? What do you think we're going to have for a car after electricity fails? After electricity fails, he says. Yeah. What does that mean? I think electricity fails. Interesting. So what do you think? I think I think first of all I think there's in the marketplace I think the amount of room in the marketplace for electric vehicles is pretty small. I said I think it has a practicality. And you live next to Santa Cruz. Yeah, well that yeah. I live next to it. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> next to it. That's the key word. Uh-huh, I understand. It's, it's a big word too. Oh, I'm aware there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, where's your skateboard? Look, so 
I, I, look, I look at this thing and I say, okay, this, this is a means to an end, okay? It's driven by politics that's, that's affected culture, yeah. okay? It's not realistic, it's not safe, it's not sustainable, yeah. and sure as hell not environmentally yeah. a good idea. I said, so, so, you know, put all that aside, okay, so what's after that? That's what I, and I don't know what that answer is, but I know it's not electricity. And maybe there's, maybe you have an electric car if your office is 20 mil, miles away and you go there with it and you drive it back home, but you're not going to use that on the weekends. You're not going to have fun in that. I drove a Tesla Plaid. Okay, it's a rocket ship in a straight line. I said, if I want a rocket ship in a straight line, I'll buy a top fuel car. Yeah. That's a rocket ship in a straight line. Yeah. I said, so what's the point of the thing? You know, it's heavy. It doesn't stop. You know, I said, it's, I said, you know, this, this, this world. And We're this, like 10 miles from the Tesla factory. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but so. you think about it. We grew up, the biggest thing in our world is cars. Yeah. It is the biggest thing. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's love. It's sir. love. It's passion. <laughs> it's, it is. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, and, and, and here we are trying to basically eliminate that. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we'll do autonomous here and you get electric car here and, yeah. oh, you know, and just, just sit in the car and do this. Right. right. Yeah. And so speaking of that. Yeah, we'll, Any, let you, we'll let you go on here. But, no, no, uh, no, that's fine. But but so I so that's my question because I don't think it's electricity for very long. I think it's I but think, you don't know. I think it's a door that they went in and they don't even know where to go from there. But if you were going to answer your own question, you don't know. I don't know. So we have a close mutual friend uh, who who challenged us and and made a prediction that he's been 100 percent right on that in all of your talking you'll never say anything about your personal life. And uh, that's actually been true. Like uh, we uh, in mentioned the ex-wife a few times. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. the ex-wife, yeah. and we've learned about the blacklist. So we we were challenged to see if we can <laughs> yeah. get anything out yeah. of you on a you personal eat the same level. Same thing quite often. Yeah. So you eat. So you eat peanut butter sandwiches and salads. What else? So I I just want to I well, I, 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 I want to deliver to our close friend. Yeah. I have got a few personal nuggets. I have you. two children. You have two children. Okay. And my daughter is a car fanatic. She's how old? She's thirty-seven. She's 37. And she makes and, margaritas and I have a, like? And I have a granddaughter. Okay. okay. And she's, like, gorgeous and funny. And, and it's the first, it's honestly, I have to be honest, it's the first thing in my life that can distract me from cars. Your really? granddaughter. Being, yeah. Being a granddad? Completely. Yeah, yeah being a granddad. Yeah. And Not being a father, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But being a granddad yeah. is totally fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, okay. but my daughter and her, and her husband, they're great. They live close by and, yeah. and all that. And then um, my daughter works for Google. Okay. And my son-in-law works for some other company doing something. I'm not even sure what. <laughs> but my idiot son-in-law. <laughs> he's not exactly though. Exactly. He's actually yeah. he's actually very successful. But, uh, sure. but he I changed. don't know what he does. <laughs> I don't know what he does. Yeah. yeah. So, and then my son lives in in Southern California. Doing he's, he's 31 and uh, he's a personal trainer. Oh, oh cool. Right yeah. Right. And he's gone back to school to where in Southern California? To in, uh, he's in he's near Santa Monica. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Other side of the world yeah. where I live. And then my yeah. ex-wife and I are like best friends. Oh, yeah. oh, you actually get along with your ex-wife. Oh, God, fantastic. We, we've done with? vacations together with the kids, and she comes up here, huh? You did. You do vacations together now? Yes. No longer married. You still do vacations yes. together? Yeah. yeah. Wow. We're best friends. Okay. Look, I love my ex-wife, and, and sure. she loves me, but, you know, she just doesn't want to be number two to cars. Wow. You know? Okay. Too many demands. She, g- yeah, right. she, she gave up on that. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What if what if if you're on vacation and you, uh, you 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 catch the eye of somebody else? Is that something you can do around the ex? I've had girlfriends. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. She's okay? No, we're f- look. I'm not with my ex-wife. I we're just right. best friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's harder for the girlfriend. Did you guys fight more when you were married or now? We didn't fight. Um, 
I was look. I was gone all the time. At that time, I had five franchises. I had the trailer company. Yeah. When, I was working seven days a week. When was this? I was trying to build a business. Yeah. When was this? Well, we got married in the mid '80s, okay. and and it was right in the middle of me trying to build my yeah, empire. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And that meant I was have been seven days so, a week, yeah. and and in the car business, you know, you're open at seven and you close at ten in the retail dealership business. Right. Yeah. And back then, it wasn't like you had armies of people. Yeah. The owner was there all day making the deals, right? So. Yeah. That's the life I was in, and I, two days a week I was driving to Fresno to my trailer company, where we, we still do that stuff there. Right. We still build the trailers, but, yeah. but it was different, and it and it wore it wore my family out. Sure, yeah, you know, sure. So are you spending more time with your kids now that yeah. things are slowed down, and like you can yeah. enjoy it and exactly, yeah, prioritize it. Yeah. So you look yeah. at your grand. So. Do you already have a car picked out for for the granddaughter? I gave her a little Porsche already one, and then I got her that electric one that they have. So, oh, like which you're like, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're like you'll drive something. But say, after this. is there a work. can of a big wheel out there? No. Hmm. I think it needs to be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so with, with, uh, you know, having some kids and this is an empire you built here, where do you see the future of Canapa going when you uh, move on? I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, the good thing is it's become a brand. Yeah, for sure. Know? So, yeah. but it still lives and dies on your detail. Yeah. But there's other people that have my detail. I'm not the only one. In the one. company? Um, in the company, there's some people, but there's people outside too that, you know, come into companies and, and bring new vision sure. and different, it may change some, but, but somebody's not going to come in here unless they see this, understand it and want to extend it yeah. further, you know? So but your I'm hoping that, might be the future I'm the hoping that happens. Your granddaughter and Pat Long. Yeah. 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 And Pat Long, there, there's a guy that he, he's got that vision. Yeah, for sure. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> What's he what has he done? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. He's he's on our on our selection committee too. He should be. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's all right. He's so, <laughs> yeah. he's done what does amazing. he know about live events and historics? Yeah. yeah, and like actually cherishing a brand, yeah. not making and, it about and himself, being a perfectly strong ambassador. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and responding to texts. <laughs> yeah, like one of the best people we've ever worked with. Yeah, yeah. continually. So. Uh, Podcasts will exist for quite a while. Someone might listen to this five, ten years from now or 20 years, whatever. What would you hope they take away as like a Bruce Canapa legacy from listening to this? Um, what would they take away? Well, I think that within reason you can kind of do anything you want to if you work at it. But you got to work at it really hard. I said, I look back. I had people here. I said, I look back and I said, there were years where it absolutely looked like there was no way I could make it. I was either, I, I had I had debt trying to keep going. I had this, I had that. There wasn't a market for what I was doing. I couldn't figure out how people couldn't see what I was doing. There's You don't do it without failures. You don't do it without hard times. At least I didn't. Yeah. And But you got to keep deciding, I'm still going to do it. And, and, and I'm going to come out the other end somewhere. And, and you can, but it's work. I said, you have to put in the time. You have to get up every day knowing it's worth getting up and doing it. And uh, that's all this is. Yeah, I'd say on that note, Canapa uh, kind of got the check on this one, <laughs> but Continental got us here. Meow, 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 meow. I'm finished. Until the morning, that old music gets me going. Say, hey.